0: a sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality, the curse of the devil, Satan in control of the body
1: and the mind.
2: My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you will find it.
3: Hello folks, it's Rod jumping in here for just a moment to let you know what you're going to hear before we get to the body of this new podcast. This episode of the Nashi cast allows Troy and myself to finally open up the show to other fans of Paul Nashi. This is something we've been talking about for a long time. We wanted to hear other voices, other people who are fans. We wanted to get them on the show. Let them tell their story of how they first saw Paul Nashie films, what their favorite Doninsky films are, what their favorite Paul Nashie films outside of the horror genre might be. This is something we've uh, thought would be a good idea for a very long time. So, who do we have as our first guest to talk about the power of Paul Nashie? Well, it would be a fine podcaster, a man coming up on his second full year of weekly podcasts. Yeah, none of this wussy monthly or bi-monthly podcast scheduling? No, not for Court PsyOps. Not the brain behind Cinema PsyOps. If you've not heard of Cinema PsyOps, you really ought to. And as a matter of fact here, uh, before we get to the body of the show, of course you will hear a promo telling you exactly what Cinema PsyOps is. But Court, the man behind the show, is a great guy and uh, has turned out to be just one heck of a podcaster. It's well worth your time to check the show out, and honestly, we had a great time talking to him about Paul Nashie. Of course, this isn't the first time we've talked with him about Paul Nashie, but it is the first time we've recorded him talking about Paul Nashie, so this shit is all on record now. Courts, you cannot hide. It is now out there on the, well, there's a lot of things about you out there on the internet, and if anybody's ever listened to your show, they know some of it's pretty embarrassing. So, um, folks, thank you very much for tuning into this one. We hope to have other people on in the future to talk about Nashi, other voices, other fans. It's a big Nashi world out there, especially with the uh, 2017 release of all these new Nashi films on Blu-ray. Well, they're not new Nashi films, they're just new Blu-rays, but you, you, you knew that. I'd sp- I'm, I'm, I'm babbling at this point. So, kick back, listen to Troy and I talk with Court, and uh, enjoy.
1: Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, uh, necrophilia. Uh, it's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? <laughs> no one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore.
2: I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed
1: in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Uh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it.
2: It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At thirteen, you should not be. Fourteen, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even seventeen-year-olds should be watching this.
1: Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything it's that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film.
4: Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at
1: 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a rough you one.
3: watch this shit at 12?
1: Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema psyops.
3: Court, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we have not done uh, many guests on the Nashi Cast, and uh, I knew that I knew uh, well over a year ago that you were definitely someone that I wanted to have as a guest on the show. But I've been putting it off because uh, I, I just figured that uh, you were going to outshine me and Troy, and I wanted to put that back away from me as far as possible in time because I knew that as soon as this happened, uh, I would try to cut this episode together, and Troy and I would sound like the hack. Mm-hmm. Doofus fucks that we are, and uh, I'd have to close up shop.
4: Well, the way, so, I, the way I look at it is you know, he's, he's had both of us on his show, and yeah. so I just consider this
1: retaliation. <laughs> I'm on the hot seat. Here's the part where I get berated for how you were treated on my show, right? <laughs> no,
3: right. no, uh, man.
1: I, I well, I don't know about Troy. No, man. no. I,
4: no, we did Mostly we just uh, dissed you, though. You know, mostly we just talk shit about Rod the whole time. Right? Oh, Most thank
1: you. It. Thank you so much, loyal <laughs> friend. Spoiler alert, Troy. He did the exact same thing on our show with
4: you. Yes, yes. I know, I know. Uh, Ah, yes. I see
3: how this is going to turn out now. now. All right. Thanks. This is a great show. Thanks, Court. Uh, Well, no. Uh.
4: (laughs) Well, for those, for for listeners who uh, want to seek out those episodes, it was part of your uh, cinematic trauma series, right? That we both did. like Films that we we saw uh, way too young in age. So uh, I think, you know, mine was uh, uh, was (laughs) Blood and Lace and uh, yours was 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 The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch, yes.
3: Yeah. You, you uh, talked about a film involving uh, perversion, and I talked about mm-hmm. one involving graphic violence. So yeah. I think it all balanced out. I think
1: right? it did, too. <laughs> and we ter- we coined the term gorch rot on your episode, Rod. <laughs> yes,
3: <laughs> yes gor- which, which was definitely not something that I planned. But, uh, yeah. boy, when it works out, <laughs> it works out, huh?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Those are two of our finer episodes, and I, I credit that to the guests on that oh well thank you
4: we had fun with those
3: Those i want to i want to compliment you court on the most recent on the on the the recent episode about uh uh song of the south because holy shit uh yeah that was ballsy of you
1: on on a number of levels Uh, that was a definite difficult episode to do yeah Uh, i can imagine i i edited it very seldomly i only pulled out certain things where we basically had paperclips moments ourselves where we're just like, we <laughs> yeah. can't, we can't handle this. <laughs> yeah. uh, and at one point, Matt is even looking at me going, dude, why did you pick this? And it was like <laughs> the only thing I took completely out of the episode. I'm like, you know why? Because somebody had to say it. It, it has it coming. Yeah, of course. totally had it coming.
3: Well, that's the, and, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, there, there, and I, and I'm glad you guys put it the way you did in the body of the show, which is that there's a lot to admire in song of the South. But that does not change the fact that it is inherently, on every level, just wrong. racist yeah. as hell. And it's one of those things where, I mean, here's the thing is, Troy and I, we're Southern boys, man. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Alabama, raised in Tennessee. He was, you know, he's from Tennessee, born and bred, and we're both sitting here going, yeah, man, it's a fucking nasty subject to discuss, but yeah. you did it well, and I'm really proud of you, man. I think it was a great episode.
1: Well, thanks. I, I know that uh, us being two Midwesterner white guys, what what would we really have on our show that we could bring to it, other than the fact of, hey, this makes us uncomfortable, <laughs> yes. and this really this really has nothing to do to slight us, really, you know? And so seeing the film the way that it is, and the fact that Disney is still using this to make money off of this story, I mean, that's what Splash Mountain is based on.
3: Well, not and just there, that. You pointed out quite astutely that. They've released it on video in every other country in the world, pretty much.
1: Oh yeah, like there's like special editions in Japan and and mm-hmm. stuff like that that are out there that you can get your hands on. And if you're astute enough, you can employ the special antenna to get ripped versions of that that yep. look way better than they should. You know, so it, it's it's out there for people to be able to get their hands on, and they're only really sweeping it under the rug and pretending like it doesn't exist in the country that causes them the most contention, and they want to try and pretend like they never did this at all. Mm-hmm. Like, like apologize for it, make it a historical thing, and if you're going to put it out there, put it out there the way that the Looney Tunes stuff was done, where they have someone speaking, Agreed. right before it was, this is a product of mm-hmm. its time when racial sensitivity didn't exist.
3: Exactly, and and that would be the correct thing for them to do. Take whatever heat is going to come, <clears throat> but do exactly what Warner Brothers, I mean, what uh, what you're right, what Warner Brothers did with the Looney Tunes cartoons from the same period, which is, we all know what this looks like now, we all know what this came from, but at the same time, this is historically important to one degree or another and for yeah. various reasons, and therefore it shouldn't be swept under the rug. But having said that, there are still <laughs> some cartoons, some very racist cartoons from that period that have not been issued yet. Uh, and may never be issued. I mean, have you ever seen Coal Black and the Seven Dwarves?
1: No, but I've known of i uh, known of uh, I think it was Snow White and the Seven Dwabas or something like that was was oh. a, another cartoon that's similar to that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, it's that Coal Black and the Seven Dwarves is an amazing cartoon. I mean, it's technically brilliant. And it's clever. It's everything you would expect from a cartoon from that studio working at that level at that time. But you think Song of the South is racist? Holy shit. It's like (laughs) every racist idea in Song of the South boiled down to about eight minutes and just shoved it at your head.
4: Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, I think it was maybe something weird that actually put this out, but I remember years ago I rented a was it, back in the old Tower Tower Records. There was a series called Weird Cartoons, yeah, and they had on VHS. Yeah. Racially questionable or offensive cartoons had all sorts of stuff, and some really great animated stuff. But uh, but yeah, it definitely had some stuff in there that was pretty. <laughs> yeah, <they're pretty laughs> not not, to, not just questionable, yeah, yeah, but exactly yeah. wrong. I haven't yeah. seen Song of the South since I was a little kid. You know, my, we went to see it. Me and my family went to see it on, I guess, one of its reissues or something. You know, but uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I guess what year was that release, Song of the South? I'm trying to think. Do oh, good lord, it? the '60s.
1: Or the 50s? No, for, it was uh forty-three originally. Okay, 43 so even movies, earlier than I thought. It, I thought it was the fifties. Oh, like 50s. Jesus oh really yeah, I thought it was the early fifties. Okay. But we
4: saw it on a, we saw it on one of its uh, early seventies reissues. And of course, at the I was too young. I mean, I was just I enjoyed it, but just because the cartoons, you know, because of the the cartoon yeah. characters. You know? Well, and, and, the I, I mean, and the songs and the songs were great. Are you know, it's yeah. like, but yeah, but but even even my dim memories of it, you know, now is I can look back on it and realize, like, oh boy, you know, that was. a... <laughs> <laughs> that was oh, some rough yeah, territory yeah. there
3: well, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys this is supposed to be this isn't <laughs> this isn't supposed to be a, 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 a podcast about Disney and racism, for fuck's sake this is supposed to be about Paul Nash this is ridiculous but Court, I, I wanted to go ahead and compliment you I know that uh, I know that Cinema CinemaScipes is coming up on its uh, yeah, a 7 millionth episode, am I wrong?
1: <laughs> not, no, it? it's not counting little bonus episodes that got simultaneously released, we're hitting our 100th, 100th Episode uh, four weeks from the time of this recording. Congratulations! Yeah,
4: congratulations! It's awesome.
1: Well, thank you. We're actually gearing up to do a one hundredth and two year uh, full franchise fest special. I'm not going to announce the movies yet. Yeah. I'm going to be teasing it on our Facebook group cool. for like the next couple of weeks.
3: I saw uh, I saw I think the first teaser photograph, and I'm completely clueless. I have no
1: idea. So <laughs> one person has figured it out so far. So if you're figuring it out from the photographs, don't spoil it from everybody else. No problem. just just message me, and if you get it, I'll cop to it and tell you, and then we'll keep the secret, and everybody can just be, you know, like in on the joke of what is it court's tormenting us with. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what was the last but, yeah. full
1: franchise fest? I can't remember. Uh, the last one that we did was the Dark Man series, I believe it's '75, because before oh, that, yeah. it was Maniac Cop, and then the. First one was Slumber Party Massacre.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I still, I still haven't finished watching. I haven't watched the second and third Slumber Party Massacre films. But you and your Darkman uh, full franchise episode did make me go back and rewatch the second and third uh, Darkman films, and then caused me to blog about the damn things because I just couldn't stop thinking about them. Uh, so you know. There's you have that to answer for,
4: yeah. And him saying that actually reminds me that was the, that was one of the other films that got through the Scream factory here recently the oh, sale was a Dark Man there. Yeah, so yeah. I haven't watched that in a long time, but I've always enjoyed that movie. I've never seen any of the sequels. So.
1: Um, there's a quick uh, diminishing returns on yeah, those. yeah. Did <laughs> <A laughs> you <very laughs> quick drop?
3: Yeah, and, and what's weird is that the, the one that they released as the second Dark Man film is the better of the two. But it was supposed to be the third one. Oh! But as soon as they had both films in front of them, they realized if we release this one as the second one, mm. then nobody's going to see the nobody's wow. going to see the the really good one. Because I really I think the one, the Return of Durant, is actually pretty damn good little movie. Okay. But the the third one is like very mediocre.
1: So, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But once cool. again, this is not a podcast <laughs> about, about goddamn Darkman.
1: Darkman. <laughs> 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 I will cause tangents, that's what hey, I hey, do.
4: Hey, that's, that's quite all right. <laughs> I,
3: have no, I have no fear. Uh, we, we built the idea into the whole thing. Hell, man, listen back to our our podcast. Hell, we tangent so bad it's ridiculous. <laughs> I once spent ten minutes talking about goddamn Earth 2 comic books, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, time now to discuss Paul Nashie. I understand, Brother Court, that you are quite the Paul
1: Nashie fan. Uh, yes, you guys are mostly to blame for that, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, um, I had, uh, I had seen some Paul Nashy stuff, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later, but, uh, and I was aware of his work, but I hadn't gotten full-fledged dived in. I probably had watched two or three movies and was, like, really into them, but they were bad VHS copies, or they were, like, the budget releases that you would get, like, Brentwood, uh, communications 10 dvd packs had uh yeah were, werewolf versus the vampire women hmm. and stuff like that and i'd seen some other stuff that wasn't my first one obviously but uh but i'd seen some of them and i'm like okay this stuff is kind of interesting and i had heard rod doing uh the the goofy shtick that he did on uh b movie cast when he did his voicemails <laughs> and i was like this guy's hilarious i gotta listen to this <laughs> podcast
3: so yeah I, just, I yeah i used to be funny <laughs> oh you still are
4: <laughs> we like your older funnier podcast <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so what i'm saying is with my uh, my beige scarf flipped over my shoulder i was into nashley cast before Nashicast cast was cool <laughs>
4: yeah. hey hey we're all part of that yeah we're all part of that group oh
1: That's believe
3: like, me yeah. i think that uh, maybe uh for the first year to year and a half of our show i think there were roughly 75 people who had ever even heard of us so yeah
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I got in pretty much on the ground floor because I was listening to the B-Movie cast um, right when I think you started calling in. And that's when I was like, OK, I got to check this out. And I think you guys had like maybe two or three episodes out by the time I started listening. Mm. And I listened to the you – you the first episode is Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, correct?
4: Yeah, sure was. Right, yeah. OK.
1: OK, so I listened to a good portion of that where you guys are going through the film. And I was like, OK, I need to stop right about here i stopped about halfway through and i i went and found the dvd on amazon and ordered it luckily because it had just started going out of print so it was like getting super expensive and this has been my perilous fight of being a nashi fan <laughs> and <they call> it's <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. fighting
1: the out-of-print prices which I, i'm sure all of your listeners will understand <laughs> yeah
2: yeah
3: Luckily, those days are about to be behind us. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the most wonderful things that are making it easy to get through this year for me is knowing that that stuff's on the horizon. That the Nashi Blu-rays are finally here.
2: Yeah.
1: But uh, so, from listening to your cast and just kind of going through the films as you guys release them and uh, release the shows and getting my hands on them in one way, shape, or form, and some of your earlier episodes, I even wrote in and I was like, "What is this special antenna you speak of, Rod?"
2: <laughs> it's not no, going oh, out of his ass.
1: Oh, oh! He means the internet. Okay.
3: <laughs> I was, I was trying to be a combination of cool and wily, uh, and it didn't work.
4: It's so hard for uh, quotation marks to be heard over, uh, you know, on audio. You know, it's, it's hard to do audio quotation marks. You
3: have to actually do. I'm doing the air quotes now, air quotes, which just yeah. takes the cool right out of it.
1: <laughs> Oh, I like to do that because I like to play up my pretentiousness when I say quote-unquote with things because that's that's just how I am. <laughs> <laughs> I accept who I am and, and you know, you're either going to like me for who I am or you're not and I, I can't do anything about that, you know?
4: I bet you even say to wit at times, don't you? And uh, and ergo. Ergo. I say ergo. I say ergo? ergo a lot. See, and I said it um, ergo, which just shows, how, uh, shows
3: what a, a mongoloid I am. No, it, it, that, it, shows, it shows you're a lower-class human being. It's am, true. exactly. Yeah. But we've we all, we've all <laughs> known that choice. That
1: I do finish a lot of my statements with, if you will.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) But uh, so uh, do you remember which one of the – which Nashi film was the first one you saw? And of course this is is long before you knew you were going to eventually want to seek more of this guy's films out. Do you remember which one was the first?
1: Yeah, actually I I can tell you the story of how I found it and everything. Okay, it was uh, actually November 1st, 1999 was the first time I got my hands on a Ashy film. There was a Halloween store. It was one of those like Halloween towns or Halloween whatever like express that would pop up right before Halloween. And then this was the big, uh, we need to get rid of this stock so we don't have to send it back
2: mm-hmm. to yeah. sell
1: the day after Halloween. And my friends and I always hit that up. And this was my last year of my two-year trade school college I went to. And this was November 1st that we were there. One of the things that they had was a VHS of Horror Rises from the Tomb.
2: Huh.
1: Wow. And with with the sale, I got it for like, I think, 75 cents, still shrunk wrap and brand new.
0: Whoa. From the dark and mysterious Middle Ages, full of mystery and violence, there now comes to the screen, Fear Rises from the Tomb, a curse which would bring these people to the most terrifying situations. rises from the tomb with Emma Cohen Paul Nashi, Vic Winner Christina Suriani Betsabe Ruiz and Helga Linet in the role of Fear rises from the tomb with all the mystery and terror of mediaeval rites and witchcraft. Ah! The infernal powers of evil, persecuting these defenseless beings. Only the talisman could free them from the Wait spellbinding afterwards. Uh, right. Fear rises from the tomb. She the we'll them during the rites. Only a terrifying experience. It will take you a long time to forget. Here Rises from the Tomb, a Pro Films production, directed by Carlos Aurez. Seven moons have passed. Today we shall take them. I want when the supreme day comes that they are sufficiently prepared for the sacrifice.
1: Uh, this was, I think it was the Good Times VHS, I think, was who released it, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly who the release was, and I don't own the VHS tape anymore. I've since given it to somebody else. But I bought the tape by looking at the title and went, yes, I'm into this, without even knowing mm-hmm. Paul Nashi was in it. Mm-hmm. I had read about Paul Nash because Fangoria was releasing around this time, I think, uh, Rojo Sangre, or Sangre uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and possibly a few other... Uh, titles had been kind of on the periphery, so they were writing about him to drum up business for this DVD they were about to release. So I buy the VHS not knowing who it is, along with a few other things in this Halloween store. Uh, all the guys and I beeline it back to my house, and I'm like, "Hey, you guys want to watch this new tape I just bought? You know, let's. This will be a lark. This will be fun." And then I see the name Paul Nashi. It clicks in my head, and then you know, fast forward to the end of the film. After we're all watching it, our jaws are dropped. And I'm like, wow, Thor's hammers, huh? Got to get me some of those.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now I and assume so, you're talking about uh, Helga lane's breasts. <laughs>
1: y- yes. <laughs> no, this was this this uh, VHS tape version was pretty edited. I was going to. That it was going to ask about it. that. Oh, analogy, okay. so.
3: Yeah. I'm sure it was the TV edit. Yeah.
1: It I don't know if it was quite the TV edit because I remember there being some nudity to it, but it was like the sort of like halfway in between. Mm-hmm. There was some kind of weird VHS release where they cut some of it down or some of it wasn't available, but uh, you you did see some nudity, uh, but all the violence was still there, of course, because it's America. You got to have that. Oh yeah. Oh well yeah. Um, so that was definitely my first Nashi film, and then a few years later, when I started collecting DVD, I was buying those DVD sets I was referring to. So the next one I saw was. Uh, werewolf versus the vampire women or that that print of that Mm -hmm. and uh i was i actually really enjoyed that but it was so dark and hard to see because of how bad this dvd print was it was like uh brentwood communications went out of business but they made a a whole career out of selling these 10-pack dvds where they would just dub vhs tapes to dvd
3: yeah that's how (laughs) that's how i saw a lot of uh um some of the uh, Mexican uh, horror films from the 60s and 70s uh, were those Brentwood sets like that, yeah.
1: And I still have a lot of those because sometimes that's like the only copy you can get of some of these films, so I was all about it. Yeah. But uh, I think I saw that, and then there was another Paul Mashey movie I got my hands on. It might have been the Rojo Sangre or something like that along, around that time, but I hadn't really like checked it out. And then there was uh, probably a few years later whenever the – Oh gosh, I know him as BCI Demos. Yeah, oh no, yeah, sure, yeah. The BCI no, releases,
4: yeah. Stuff, yeah.
1: Uh, there was a couple of releases that they did where I bought uh, the Werewolf or Night of the Werewolf and the uh, Vengeance of the Zombies double pack oh, that was yeah. in uh, Best Buy. They they sold them for like ten bucks for two DVDs. Yeah. And that was like the last ones that I bought before, like several years after that, when the Nashi cast came into my life and opened mm-hmm. me up to the whole entire world that is Nashy.
3: Well, that was almost a pornographic description. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's what it—that's what it felt
3: like. I I Deflowering it. <laughs> yeah, I
1: felt—I felt like upon viewing a lot of these films, I should be singing at the top of my lungs, "Oh, sweet mystery oh, <laughs> of life! At last, I found." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh,
3: you know, so they elevated
4: you is what you're saying. Yeah.
3: <laughs> there's, there's no way to get through an episode of our, our show without at least one Mel Brooks reference. I have discovered this. <laughs> used to be Python, but we've moved on to Mel Brooks.
1: Give me time. I'll get to Python,
3: too. Yeah, oh, cool. God, <laughs> so will we. <laughs> For a lot of people in the United States, uh, people who are, who are a little older than you, one of the first Nashy films they ever saw was Fury of the Wolfman, because it was ubiquitous for a long time. If you were, if you stumbled through the cheap VHS piles that you came across at video stores, uh, for some reason, Fury of the Wolfman fell into either public domain, or people thought it was in public domain. So Fury of the Wolfman was just everywhere for a long period of time. Uh, and unfortunately, Fury of the Wolfman is, uh, how best to put this, a clusterfuck. <laughs> and uh, not that there aren't good things in Fury of the Wolfman, but Fury of the Wolfman, <clears throat> if you've ever listened to our, our podcast about it back several years ago, you will notice a certain amount of exasperation as we <laughs> attempt to figure out how do we tell people what is happening in the film now. Uh, <laughs> so you avoided that, at least. Uh, to st- you were lucky to be able to start off with something like Horror Rises from the Tomb, oh, because yeah. Horror Rises from the Tomb, uh, even if it's chopped down... Uh, and as crazy as it is, at least does not occasionally make you go, what the fuck, <laughs> except in that way that is kind of good. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is that woman yeah. doing naked? Not
4: the, not the what the fuck, like, do I need to rewind a minute and see if I missed, you know, see yeah. if I like, missed something? Did I fall asleep yeah. for 10 minutes and, well, and, and then suddenly wake yeah. up
3: at the different part of the film? And <laughs> let's put it this way. Fury of the Wolfman, I'm
1: assuming you've seen it now, right? Oh yeah, uh, right after you guys released the episode, I begrudgingly went out and found one <laughs> yeah. of those budget DVDs that was a rip of the <laughs> uh, VHS tapes in question well, like, and you, I've regretted it ever since.
3: Well the, yeah exactly
1: you know, you know what I'm talking about that
3: what other film uh, just drops just drops werewolf footage from another werewolf film by the same actor into it and not doesn't even bother to try to match the things. What other werewolf yeah. film you will ever see just for some reason has you asked the question, is that an orgy scene that I can barely see? What other werewolf film has a goddamn man eating plant that nobody ever explains? Yeah, you know, it's it's
1: it's madness. So you you dodged that bullet. Now, the I question do, I, I do believe that the answer to all of those questions rod is something by Ed Wood.
2: <laughs>
1: you could be yeah. right. You could be right, but but since you since
3: you kind of entered in a, a an interesting area, you entered into a good, you entered through a good door. Let's put it that way, into the house oh, of Nashi. Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
4: right because even in a cut version, which is you know, I mean that's how <clears throat> you know my older brother first saw it on when it showed on TV and was telling me about this amazing film he saw, and that was the cut TV version. But there's there's no way there's no way you can really dampen that. Uh, that tone, that atmosphere of that film, it's just going to come through, no matter how much you <laughs> try and oh, well, edit yeah. it. There, the, yeah. the atmosphere of that film is just—it's you know, every scene just kind of drips with it, you know. And there's just no way that that that's not going to come through.
3: Well, so you you've sought out, Court. I'm sure now you've sought out you know a lot more Nashi films. And so, of course, the obvious question becomes: Well, you know, what what do you consider to be your favorite Nashi films now?
1: Um, I can give you like a top three just off the top of my head. That's Yeah, cra- yeah that's great. Uh, number three, Hunchback of the Morgue. Number two, Inquisition, and number one is El Caminante. Cool.
3: Ah, excellent choices, all three. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But you are wrong, sir. <laughs> 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 no, that's that's great. Now I have to ask. Uh, I know now. Uh, I know now. Inquisition is very easy to see because of the mondo Macabro uh, mondo Macabre Blu-ray. But uh, did you see it before then? Did you employ the special antenna to see Inquisition before uh, the Blu-ray release?
1: I went uh, gray market and got my hands on it through the now defunct cinema day Bazaar because they had some of the best uh, copies from what I could tell of, of nashy stuff for all of those gray market guys. And the inquisition one was pretty much like the VHS copy that you guys had watched the first time that you covered it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was able to kind of see a lot of what you guys were seeing and not seeing because of how bad that copy was, you know, and it's no fault of, The now defunct Cinema Data Bazaar, that was just all they could get their hands on. But even still, that movie, I was like, God, I can't wait till I can get a better copy of this. And when uh, Monando Recabro announced my two top favorites, you know, that they were releasing them both, I was ecstatic. I, I, I do believe I posted it everywhere with like a chain of expletives going. Oh my
3: god! Oh my god! <laughs> <Yeah>. Afterwards. <laughs> well, uh, I, it's it's great. I think you I think you're right to place El Caminante so high on the list. It's it is probably I think his best film and and without a doubt one of the best accomplishments he ever he ever had in his entire career. I'm I'm always stunned that that is. I think El Caminante really is the hinge point past which, um, I think that film. Almost perfectly balances his uh, his early career optimism with his late career bitterness. There's it's almost the hinge point where, past that, the bitterness often got the best of got the best of him. Not that that made the films that came after it you know worse for that. It's just that it that that bitterness and that lack of optimism, that kind of dark dark outlook on humanity, kind of colored everything in different shades from there on out. Uh, I, the early career stuff, the, the 60s and 70s stuff, always feel to me like a man exploring the, the stuff that he loved as a kid and kind of making adult versions of them and, and making, the, making them his own. And the later career stuff, past El Caminante, past about 1979, 1980, to a large degree feels like a man who's coming to terms with the fact that a lot of his dreams are never going to be realized and he's being stymied in certain creative areas. And I feel like now that I'm 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 kind of babbling on about this, but but El Caminante is such a, is such an amazing movie, and it's one of those things that um, you putting it at the top of the list shows that you see a lot of of of, of high quality in it and about it. That uh, I'm, I'm I'm curious to to uh, to talk to people who are big fans of El Caminante and what elements in the movie make it so uh, important to you.
1: Me personally, I really enjoy the very Canterbury Tales feel mm-hmm. of the yeah. storytelling.
2: Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Has,
1: it has that sort of high humor mixed with the very body toilet stuff, which yep. just speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree with you in a certain amount with El Caminante having a more hopeful perspective. But the way that the film ends still has that where you can see this bitterness creeping in. It's okay. almost like as he's making the film, you you feel like the evolution of his career, where he starts feeling that people are shit and undeserving of of salvation or, or whatever. That 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 story ends up, you know, mixing in with his feelings towards humanity and his bitterness, uh, with this sort of uh, story of the devil come to earth to, you know, with his wrath for he has such a short time, if you will, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Oh, I just had another thought too, and. And the bitterness that you were talking about mixed with the man playing, you know, with childhood monsters that he enjoyed uh, in his career, I think the combination of those two really comes together with Howl of the Devil. I think that particular film shows the optimism he had as a child for the monsters and his early career in, you know, his kid in the film reliving, you know, what his father played and seeing him as all these different monsters in his imagination – but it also illustrates his severe disdain for humanity in some ways that yeah. started developing.
3: And in a way, how the devil? Yeah, I think you're right. I see how the devil has—he's he, using Sergio, his son, to represent himself clearly, and you know, showing himself as that monster-loving kid who was bright-eyed and, and and optimistic and looking to looking toward the future and 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 looking at these monsters as things that were part of his. Uh, uh, not just part of his uh, childhood, but something that at that age he saw as something that could be talismans or or indicators to, to, to guide him through life. And uh, what the character he plays is this, you know, embittered actor whose career is, has, has reached a dead end and whose, uh, whose days are now spent doing the most depraved things that he can think of. And it's... Um, it's it's a dark, wonderful. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you this: we're we're all really thrilled, of course, with all the Blu-rays coming out now. Yeah. Uh, the day somebody announces Howl the Devil's coming out. Oh,
4: that's gonna be huge!
3: Is the day I will lose my damn mind.
4: Me too. <laughs> but I think with Nashi, uh, also, you know, I think like the the monster movies, like the werewolf films, uh, are the, are kind of where he found the outlet for. Uh, the romantic side of his nature, you know the the i mean romantic in the you know in all the sense of you know just the kind of the, the side of his nature that that did respond as an innocent you know to monsters and 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 fairy tales and tales of superheroes and all that because I think when Nashi was working outside of the supernatural realm, I don't think that he could honestly bring that kind of sense to films that dealt with humanity because of what he had seen of humanity and what he believed about humanity I think yeah. it kind of killed his, uh, he couldn't be idealistic about, really, about humanity taken out of that kind of fairy tale world, you know, so the, so he was able to channel all that through the Alhombre Lobo films, he could tell stories about good versus evil, and true love conquering all, and self-sacrifice, and all that, and then if you take away the supernatural, and he's just dealing with people, none of that had to think he was just too cynical, he couldn't believe all that, you know, he's so like, no, we're really just... Pigs, as they say in El Camino tea you know, as the devil says, and you know, like Well, oh, like, I mean, like crazy. in human human beast, in human beast, painting, which is basically yeah. the whole analogy, the whole metaphor of, of humanity is as basically just pigs in a in a pen. You know, is is pretty strong. Have you have you you seen Human Beasts, right, uh, Court?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have the BCID most double pack of Human Beasts, and uh, I can't remember the film that came with that, but there's another nasty film on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Blue
3: Eyes of the Broken Doll, but I can't remember.
1: Blue, yeah, it is Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. You're correct, Rob. 'Cause those are the ones that are supposed to be his quote unquote non horror.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, yes.
4: You're right. <laughs> yeah. but oh well. Wow.
1: I think Human Beast is probably his most nihilistic and yeah, it's not necessarily grim. hollow, but just like so negative and so down, and by the time you're done with that film, it just it just rips your heart out. You're just yeah. so yeah. emptied out. Yeah. It's such a cruel, mean
3: spirited film and uh, it's 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 well made. I mean, I I enjoy watching it. It tells it tells an interesting story. Lord knows it's it's intriguing, but Jesus Christ, it's like being clubbed with a fucking mallet for an hour and a half. Uh, everybody in that film, I mean, it's it's there's so few glimmers of light in human beasts, and you, you don't have any you don't have any faith in them at all. That, that anything good is going to happen to these people. It's horrible. Oh, Jesus. Hey, now here's a question for you, Court. Touchy subject here. Oh, oh, But have you uh seen any of the uh Nashy attempts at comedy?
1: No, no, I haven't. Some of those I uh I haven't brought myself around to trying to find. They're a lot more difficult to find uh torrents of or anything like that. Um and if it was something out there to purchase, I don't even know if I could bring myself to buy them like <laughs> I just, I don't know. <laughs> Unless they
4: put them out on Blu-ray right now. now In that minute, you're not going to be able to resist uh, Operation Mantis if it comes out on
1: Blu-ray, right? Nashi on Blu-ray is something I'm always going to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well, I will say,
3: Troy, Troy brought up o- Operation Mantis. I, I'm not going to try to convince you that Operation Mantis is good because I would be lying. <laughs> it's not a good film. <laughs> but Operation Mantis does have enough points of interest within it uh, most well, not all of them, but some of them revolving around Julia Sally, who yeah, is sure. gorgeous. Awesome yes, yeah, she's
4: great. <laughs>
3: but uh, here's here's a question that I hadn't even thought to ask. Do you have do you have a, you have a, a female co star of Nashie's that uh, particularly ignites your imagination? <laughs>
4: I put that that very well. Did that have the uh, air quotes around it? (laughs) That
3: that whole sentence was – as a matter of fact, I think air quotes started the moment the idea popped in my head. So
2: yeah.
1: (laughs) The man surrounded himself with so many beautiful women. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't just say all of them. But if I had to narrow it down, I think it's probably Merta Miller
4: ah there Ooh. you go that's my that's my girl too man interesting call
3: Love, yeah nice
4: and, and and it's the uh it's the red hair combined with the as i always say the eyebrows that look like flying bats and know uh, that's uh <laughs> look like bats in flight that's uh that's that's that's, that's yeah mirta just tears me up man
1: She has a very stark look to her that is reminiscent of like a vampire or one of those kind of like goth girls, but with red hair, which automatically works perfectly for me. (laughs) Yeah, I
4: get you, man. I get you. Did you uh, you seek out uh, Santo
3: versus Dr. Death? (laughs) <laughs> no, I did not. You should.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, you laugh, but actually... If you,
3: if you like Merta Miller, you need to see this film.
4: It's, it's actually a genuinely good movie. I mean, we did yeah. a, our podcast on it in one of the Beyond Nashies We did, you know, obviously we did it because we suddenly found out, you know, oh my God, there's a Santo film that has all these people from the Nashyverse uh, in it. And uh, so we watched it expecting the whole time to kind of, you know, be sort of apologetic for the whole um, guilty pleasure of Santo films. Like, you know, yes, we love these films because they just are, but they're not really... Cinematically, aesthetically great films, but we came away really impressed with this film as it's actually really good film. It's well done. It's, yeah, it's, it's I'll, pretty I'll, solid. I'll
3: say again, there was the there's the the love of Santo movies that we have, and and there's you know there's Santo good, and then yeah. there's actual good. <laughs> You're right, yeah. And <laughs> Santo versus Doctor Death is actually good. It is. I mean, it's, yeah. It's a it's a Euro spy film with Santo at at the center. And the action sequences kick ass. As yeah, they're, fact, well, the,
4: they're well edited. It's yeah. not like where they just set one camera on and then just let the let the guys wrestle. You know, I mean, there's no. actually, they're actually edited with real thought in them. So
3: there's there, there's a this the the ending on the on the on the crazy the crazy ass helicopter boat thing. At oh the yeah, end that's it's totally right out of Bond.
4: Yeah, I know it's
3: completely stuff. nuts. It's like somebody saw the end of. Uh, uh, from Russia with love, and went. Oh, we can we we can one or two up that shit, you know. <laughs> and it's just, it, it, I honestly highly recommend it. It's it's well worth seeing. And like I say, if you're a Merton Miller fan,
1: there's a whole other reason to want to see that movie. Yeah. So. I laugh because I'm embarrassed that I haven't been able to track it down. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: we'll, we'll
3: we'll we'll see we'll see what we, what we, we'll can, see do. What we can do. Yeah. We'll see what we can do. Oh yeah yeah. Did, have you ever? Uh, I don't know if you're even interested, but did you ever read his uh, Nashie's autobiography?
1: I have it on my Christmas wish list and I keep waiting for someone to buy it for me because I'm already <laughs> I'm already like I, I imported the uh the Blu-ray box set from Germany, even though most of that's not even in English and I was actually going to start, you know, trying to make an amalgamation from audio from the old BCI demos. And then Shout Factory beat me to the punch and released theirs, so I have all those Blu-rays sitting around. <laughs> And it was it was spend all this money on Nashi high def or buy the man's autobiography when I could probably coax a relative into buying it for me for <laughs> a Christmas gift, you there know, you and go. it wouldn't feel so bad. So I have not gotten to it yet. I will say with that caveat of yet, but I am highly interested in reading it.
3: Okay, I, I think you will enjoy it when you eventually
1: get mm-hmm.
4: around to it. Mm-hmm. It's very good. The man was the man was a really good writer. I I, I could actually I think had he not gone the, the route he went with films, I mean I, I think he might have made a good novelist because he's he's actually you there's yeah. times where you're so sort of like whoa that you know just little passages that you just sort of read reread again because they're just so well written.
1: He definitely has a penchant for storytelling, whether it's about his life or some type of fantasy realm or werewolves. He knows how to tell a story. Yeah, he yeah. definitely does.
3: Out, out of all of the, the El Hombre Lobo films, the, the the Daninsky films, of course. What what's what's your what's your favorite and what would be well I think least favorite is is where we would vie for attention, but what are your favorite <laughs> Denin what what are your favorite of the Daninsky films?
1: I actually really love Curse of the Devil. That's my favorite cool. of the Daninsky Werewolf films. I'm not gonna say that it's the best made, but it's the one that I go to to watch the most. It has every bit of elements of all of the stuff that I love. Plus, there's a little bit of that sort of. Is Nashi a fan of Lovecraft? Because you see this sort of Narlo Hotep kind of guy that shows up in that ritual. Uh-huh. It's clearly yeah. just Nashi yeah. in a stocking that's all black.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, yeah. My my next on the list would be probably uh, Night of the Werewolf slash Vampire Women versus the Werewolf or Werewolf, Woman, Werewolf versus the Vampire Women. Yeah. Because it's kind of the same film and there's sure. two variations on it. And I kind of I can't really differentiate between them, so I love them both the same. Yeah. I can understand that. Uh, yeah,
4: they are. It is basically Nashi's remake of you know of of the the earlier film, but there are enough things different about them that it's not just a total repeat. I mean, there's different, but uh, that's one that's always it's those films always kind of I'm sort of the same way. Uh, each of them brings something have, you know strong to the story that the other ones the other one doesn't. You know, and so they kind of stand shoulder to shoulder. I think those two.
1: As far as the werewolf movies, the one that I salivate the most to get a good copy of because I can't wait to see everything that has just been so covered up in bad dubs, it's got to be Werewolf versus the Yeti or no. Night of the Hallow yeah. Beast. I mean, that one I got to get on Blu-ray and that's definitely at the top of my list. I love that film.
3: Oh, I, I love that film so much and because there's so many reasons to love that movie, not the least of which is that it is two or three different things all at the same time and all done pretty damn well. I mean, it's a it's a an adventure film, you know. It's an adventure film. It's a werewolf movie. It's a it's it's a. I, I have I, I have to admit that the whole yeti thing just feels completely wedged in there because somebody thought, hey, this would be a good idea. But it also has uh, at least in the longer cut of the film, and the the cut that the in the cut of the film that actually has the like l- the scene that's completely missing from the shortened version. Mm-hmm. It actually has a, a, a touching a touching romance that actually works and doesn't feel completely shoehorned into the story. And it has the weirdest thing of all with one of these films, a happy ending.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's totally not nashy. And that's what makes it kind of a unique thing. Uh, this is another one that I got my hands on through the now defunct cinema day Bazaar. They actually gave me both copies of the film, the edited Spanish version that looks nicer
2: yeah and you can
1: actually see more of. And then there's the, is it the Dutch VHS rip that has the most complete, Stuff that's out there now.
3: I think it was. I think it's Dutch, but it yeah, it has the uh, it has the un- it's the unclothed versions where there's a lot more nudity, and it has the uh, the one, the the one scene I'm talking about between Nashi and the female lead where they you know they, it's, it becomes clear that they've had sex and they're they're t- having a conversation you know a postcoital conversation. Yeah.
1: It also has more of a werewolf being made out of having oral sex performed on them by witches. <laughs> yeah.
3: There yeah, is yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, yes, can we pause for just a moment? okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm getting
1: back. I'm, good. Uh, <coughs> I'm just going to say we know why the he was a howling beast. He into a werewolf,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> Night of the
3: Howling Beast. Oh, sorry. Uh, it, it is. It's a. Uh, I, I love that film dearly, and not just because it's the first Natchy film I ever saw. It's just uh it's it's one of those movies that. Every time I go back to it, it's such an amazing combination of elements. And it just it just so strangely works. It's it, its not as – I i often say this about Horror Rises from the Tomb, which is uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb is just a, an, an insane amalgam of different ideas that are just strung together like some madman decided, yeah, they go in this order. But in a way, Night of the Howling Beast is kind of the same way because you get to a certain point where you realize, holy shit. We're in Tibet. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Holy shit. Somebody's talking about a Yeti. Holy shit. He's fighting some con? He's fighting (laughs) a dude with a sword? What the fuck are we doing here? There's, wait, this woman is a witch?
4: And she's like healing this guy's wounds by stripping skin off other girls and, you know, other women. And and (laughs) and
3: there comes a point when you realize, holy hell, whoever thought this was all going to work together was insane in the best way.
1: Yeah. I think you described it best on your podcast when you guys covered it the first time around, basically stating that it's like an Old Republic uh, serial with yeah. a bunch of more horror elements thrown in on top of it. I think that's probably the best way to describe it.
3: Now, and, it and it really does feel that way. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it's the most pulpy
4: of, uh, of of the Daninsky films probably, you know. It's it's like closest would be maybe Assignment Terror, but that's more like a comic book. It's more of a Mar- – that's his Marvel comic book, you know, as Assignment yeah, Terror. Yeah, but
3: Assignment Terror is so disjointed and, and what you – I mean – there's no way to watch a Simon terror and not realize that not all of this is working. Oh yeah. It it could have been a
4: better film than it is. It's got some very good stuff in it, but it's also, yeah, you're right. It's one of those where when you hear it's, when you hear what it all has in it, you know, it's impossible not to be kind (laughs) of left a little deflated after after you see that, but there's some great stuff. There's some
3: great stuff in it. That, 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 werewolf versus mummy battle, battle is,
4: games. is a great? Awesome. It's, it's better yeah. than any, yeah, better than most monster fights from the any that we've seen before that as far oh, as it's, yeah. it's like mean, what it's, you always wanted them to be. It just kicks ass, you know? Yep. Yeah,
3: yep. Yeah, yeah. With all the Nansky films that are out there, there's there, I always feel like there's, there's one or two that are, that are kind of left to the side when people discuss them. And some of that is just because they haven't had the chance to see them. But luckily I know that, uh, an astute fan such as yourself has probably tracked them down, but talking about monster mashes, uh, where, where, Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf is a film that I just I'm always absolutely stunned by and I can't believe that it took Nashi in the 70s to finally think hey yeah throw these two
1: together I really love that one yeah. I got my hands on the Code Red uh, double disc set and then a more complete version came out slightly after
4: that <laughs> <laughs> of course
1: Dr. Jekyll versus the Werewolf is probably one of the better ones as well yeah and it is really overlooked. You're totally right. I mean, I even forgot to mention it, but now I'm going to have to reshuffle my my list. Probably,
4: <laughs> Well, of the Deninsky films. It probably is my favorite, really. Uh, and there's there's two or three that do fight for for that top spot uh, pretty closely. But I believe that if it push came to shove, I have to list my I have to list my only one is my favorite. It's probably that one.
3: Oh, that's cool. Well, here's a, here's a question, Court. Uh, yeah. Well, I think the, the reason that I think that where that. that Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, I think, the reason that one is so uh, underseen is there's not really been a good release of it over here at all outside of the gray market. Uh, Mono Macabro, in the early days of that video label, released it in Britain. Uh, now, it wasn't uh, the uh, uncut version of the film. It was the clothed version of the film, if I if memory serves. Uh, but you could, for a long time over here, uh, places like Sinister Cinema, you could get the... The nude version, the unclothed version of the film, on uh, on videotape over here from them. But I think they were really doing that illegally. I think they crossed from gray right into a black on that one. But the uh, the amazing thing about that is that what uh, what what needs to happen. And uh, there's a part of me that wants to contact Pete Toombs at Monte Macabro and go, mm-hmm. "Hey,
2: mm-hmm. why
3: don't you try to get your hands on that one again and put out both versions?
4: Yeah, and yeah.
3: I know I'll buy it. Yeah, heck yeah." Did, have you seen uh, – I'm assuming you, you're you as, you're as nasty-minded as both of us, so I'm sure <laughs> you always seek out the nude versions of these things whenever you can.
1: That is a safe assumption, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was another Cinema Day Bazaar purchase, and then when Code Red did it, I was hoping for a better quality print. And they actually released, as far as I can tell, it was every bit all of the nude stuff that I got my hands on from Cinema Day Bazaar. But apparently there was an even more – Nude stuff that got released shortly after they did it that's that's out there that they found
3: yeah that's one that um uh, with, with all of the things that are coming out from uh from Nashi's career there there are a number that i want to see but i'll be honest that's that one's near the top of my list because it's su- it's such a good combination and the story is so crazy and you get to say Nashie essentially gets to play three characters in it for god's sake uh, which is, of course, another thing that I love about Nashi. Which is, yeah. <laughs> when, po- when possible, he wrote himself multiple characters. When possible, he wrote himself a sex scene with every woman in the, in the film. When possible, <laughs> he's both the hero and the villain. Mm-hmm.
4: So you know, he's the man of a thousand faces, and you'll see like five hundred of them in any given
3: given <laughs> film. <That's>, yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't believe in uh, holding back. No.
1: Nope. You write to your strength. If you feel you're a ladies' man who really digs monsters, then that's what you write.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to imagine. Now I'm trying to imagine the screenplay that you've got squirreled away. Oh, it would be illegal to film. (laughs) Even in this day and age? Oh, my God. It's a snuff
1: film. I knew it. No, but it's pretty close to all the stuff that Reagan tried to outlaw. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh
2: my God!
3: Well, tell me something. Um, we've been talking. We've been talking a lot about uh, about Nashi, but I mean, did uh, at what point did you realize? I mean, because Troy and I have talked about this before. How for a long time watching uh, the Paul Nashi films, it took a little while for us to dope out that there was a there kind of was a an odd line between the stuff being produced in Spain by people like Nashi and Amado Diassorio and Leon Klamowski. And the stuff being produced strictly in Italy and, and Germany and places like that. Was there a point where you realized that the the Spanish stuff was kind of a different strain? Uh, and did you uh, like go looking for stuff specifically because it might be a Spanish horror film? Or did you just stumble across any of them?
1: Well, at first I was stumbling across a lot of films that I ended up liking the flavor and the feel of. Uh, and then I actively started seeking them out. Like... For instance, um, I was a huge fan of Slugs and uh, Pieces from Juan Ah, Picard-Simone. But I didn't realize that he was a Spanish filmmaker. And, um, you know, like after seeing and realizing Horror Express was also a Spanish film, then I started going, okay, well, there's something going on in this particular set of decades in like a Franco, of Franco Spain. Uh, There's these very serious movement of films where they're talking about things using horror to kind of cover what they're commenting on and making it not take place in Spain. But it's very much about the things that are happening in Spain at the time that, especially with Nashi and and the filmmakers that he worked with. And so I did actively start seeking it out. And part of it is from the beyond Nashi episodes that started coming out when I realized, say uh, not necessarily when you covered uh, pieces, because at that point I'd already realized, but when you started covering films that like say, uh, Carlos Alred did or Klamowski did that didn't feature Nashi, but because it had some of the other people that Nashi worked with, then I started seeking them out. And of course, there is the Blind Dead series, and I'm a big fan of those. And Armand de Asario I love, oh, yeah. I love all of the films, even though at the end of them. The run it does kind of get harder and harder to justify liking them <laughs> I, I, the see, that's, I,
3: I'm willing to, I'm willing to disagree with you on that I know that the, the, I'm never gonna argue that there are, are hidden qualities within the ghost galleon but I will defend night of the seagulls to a large degree because mm-hmm. I think it was a bold move and it, and it definitely pointed the way toward an expansion of the blind dead to start including Lovecraftian elements within uh, within the background and within kind of the mythology I like that a lot. But hey, I know, it, I know, I know. It, it's 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 biggest crime for a lot of people, I think, is that it doesn't feel like the first two, which are, you know, don't get me wrong, the first two of the Blind Dead films are definitely the best. Mm-hmm. But I really thought it was ballsy to what he did in the fourth film. I'm not going to defend the third one.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, Ghost Gallery is kind of beyond. But I agree with Rod. I do, I do like Not of the Seagulls quite a bit, actually.
0: Nothing could stand up against the cruelty and the fanaticism of the dead horsemen. Night of the Seagulls, with Maria Costi, Victor Petit, Sandra Mosoroski, Julie James, the pretty girls when they die, they become the seagulls that scream and cry. They're the damned spirits of the sacrificed girls. The Night of the Seagulls. What's that? A beast of the sea. There must be a god belonging to some unknown culture.
2: What's going to happen to us now?
0: I don't know. But this idol is responsible for all the sacrifices. Directed by Amando de Asorio, A Pro Films and Ancla Century Films co-production.
1: If you're going to talk about just the last two of the films and take them on their own merits, I can't defend Ghost Galleon in any way, shape or form. But I do like this sort of reboot uh, retelling of the story that the Knights Templar are actually part of this seafaring god type story that is very Lovecraftian with the Cthulhu thing where they're coming from the sea to come get people.
2: Yeah, and with that is, that, the Dagon type thing, yeah.
1: It, it's just the, the problem is that it's really hard to come back from what happened with Ghost Galleon for me. Oh, understood. So, yeah. So like like I always end up forgetting how much I actually did enjoy Night of the Seagulls. I won't argue that at all. And I have no qualms uh, or not, nothing against that film in particular. It's just that what I was getting at was like it's, it's hard to enjoy them knowing how hard the budgets got chopped. Yeah, yeah. especially Night of the Seagulls because if he could have ran with that and found a way to tie it in that it's the same groups of Templars but there's just like a different sect and this particular branch went off to like the occult for these sea gods that are Lovecraftian and Cthulhu where the other guys became like a vampire cult or or whatever that were in Blind Dead 1 and 2 but each one is a reboot anyway of the story so it's not that bad.
3: No and and you're right that each film does kind of Reinvent the Knights Templar backstory to a large degree, and that's why, man, you know, you, you do know of course about the, the the never done Fifth Blind Dead film, where the 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 conversation between uh, Nashi and uh, Diasorio was to combine Daninsky with the Blind Dead and and do one film with them together, and of course it, it never happened. But just thinking about it, you know, yeah. it, it gives me it gives me a boner. I gotta say.
4: <laughs> so, it's almost kind of the same yeah. way you feel, uh, you know, felt back in the, I guess that was in the 80s when Stuart Gordon was going to do, uh, I think was going to do the Shadow over with, you, know, yeah. you know, but it was going to have Bernie Wrightson was going to design all the creatures and it was going to yeah. have all these incredible people doing the effects and, you know, it never happened. And then, of course, more recently, Del Toro, you know, his at, what attempts to do at the Mountains of Madness, Madness he just yeah. kind of salivated over. Uh, speaking of Del Toro, I just was re-watching Pan's Labyrinth uh, a few nights ago. And thinking, and how much it made me think of Nashi, and how how much Nashi could have done this. That you know, how much I could have seen Nashi doing this kind of story, because uh, you know, of course, it's set in the Spanish Civil War, and it has so much of the uh, the combination, so much of the cruelty in it, you know, and harshness in it, is out of Nashi. But then, so is, of course, the magical moments too. And I was just actually kind of thinking how well Nashi would have played, even though I mean, the guy who plays the part is fantastic too. But the main co- commandant or goya commander. Oh, yeah. Commander of that uh, of that battalion or that place there, you know, uh, Nashi would have been great in that role. You know, it made me think of—I uh, think Del Toro was was kind of combining the same
3: elements that we talk about. Well, and it, and it helps that Del Toro is on record repeatedly as a big Nashi fan, so yeah. it's not—it's not as if he's not occasionally sneaking the, uh, uh, <laughs> the nah. sneaking a Nashi reference into his movies. It's, I've spotted them three or four times, so
4: yeah. And, and Court, you're talking about DeSorio. Uh, have you seen uh, *Lorelai's Grasp yet?
1: Yes. Yes, I have. I think that's one of the episodes of uh, Cinema Psyops. We covered it. Oh, that's right.
4: That's yeah, right. Yes, did you did. Yes, cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a good it, one. It,
1: it was one that Matt pleasantly surprised me by not being a douche on. <laughs> it even <laughs> won him over. Wow. It even <laughs> won Matt over. <laughs> yeah, he really liked that film. He was really into Sigurd. You know, I,
3: you know, I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember, How you
4: with those awesome clothes. Those awesome big Game Hunter clothes. Yeah, I
3: but, remember him, you know, coming out of the closet a little bit for Sigurd there. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, he's not really in. He just, he clearly admits that it's any way the
3: wind blows, you know? <laughs> as long as his wife is fine with it, it's, it's good.
1: Yeah, it's you, you just got to do one of those things where why limit the plas—the paths of pleasure in your life? Why limit them, you know? Yeah, so there it's you go. Why it's
3: why, ridiculous. Why, why would you bother just nailing it down? It's like, you know, I, as, as I said years ago, if you put me in a room with David Bowie, I'm sure eventually something's going to happen. <laughs>
1: Uh to bring it back to the Spanish horror stuff though, uh the Blind Dead series I actually vividly remember getting my hands on and on VHS it was called Return of the Evil Dead back in the day. Yeah. It was uh, it was one of those special edition VHSs where the cover would fold out and give you like a written description and backstory like you would get in the DVDs and stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I got that when I first started college back in like the like the fall of ninety eight. I picked that up at a local uh, record shop that also sold youth VHS and stuff like that. And God, God, and Troy, did you hear that? Yeah. Did, you, did you hear that? He
4: started college in the late nineties. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> right about the time I was graduating. You
1: fucking, uh-huh. you fucking child, you. God
3: damn.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. That's why I'm getting the sage advice from uh, my elders here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you come to the mountains. Yeah. When same. the student is ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: that, that VHS that I bought, I dragged all of my friends kicking and screaming into watching. It. I made sure every friend I had in college saw it. I'm like, "This is the most insane thing I've ever seen, guys! You have to check this out." <laughs> and, and so I made everybody watch it. My wife has seen Return of the Evil Dead, or uh, and now The Blind Dead. You know, uh, Return of the Blind Dead, as it's called on DVD now probably more times than she will ever want to because i played it with her as well like when i got the dvd set even i was like hey you want to watch that again she's like is that that movie from college yes <laughs> fine <laughs> <laughs> and when they hit blu-ray we're gonna go through it all again
3: <laughs> oh god yeah,
4: yeah, yeah we're all waiting for that day i'm, I'm surprised it's taking this long but you know hey maybe next year will be the You know, the year of the blind dead, like this is Nash's year on Blu-ray. It
3: it would be nice. Who knows if it'll happen? But, I mean, I will say this. The most recent episode of The Bloody Pit I put out, the one uh, with Mark Maddox and I talking about The Outer Limits, uh, we were up on one evening uh, recording that episode, and one thing that we say in the episode a couple of times is, God damn it, why is The Outer Limits out on Blu-ray yet? Less than 12 hours later, we're being told by three or four different people, hey, man, they just announced that The Outer Limits is coming out on (laughs) Blu-ray. (laughs) Maddox and I are looking at each other and like wow that was fucking creepy (laughs) so maybe if we just talk about The Blind Dead needing to be on Blu-ray it'll magically happen
4: well see the method I always you know tries is is, and that very often works is I just go out and spend a lot of money on something that's not come out (laughs) yet on Blu-ray and sure enough the next day it'll be announced that it's coming out on Blu-ray so that's (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah.
1: (laughs) I also wanted to point out too the modern Spanish horror films are actually honoring the tradition that that Nashi and some of the other filmmakers have set up and are even kind of incorporating that you have, uh, the Baltimore legacy. Yeah. um, Yeah. uh, One, one in particular that comes to mind that is a a new gem in my life that I bought just based on seeing photos of the werewolves online and, and absolutely love them. Uh, while looking to make a werewolf costume for Halloween, I was just searching photos for werewolves and I saw this group of them and I'm like, wow, is that CG? That's incredible. There's so many of them. And then I went and found the the movie that it came from, the image, and it was Attack of the Werewolves or Devil's uh, yeah. Day de Arga, I think it's called. Yeah. And that film, even though it's like a horror comedy mix, it's like a, a Shaun of the Dead for werewolves, but like it, way funnier to me and, and way better timing for the comedy. And I love Shaun of the Dead. That's just really? how much I love Attack of the Werewolves. I think that – and that film brings up so many things that remind me of a lot of Nashie's films where they have to be honoring that tradition – just like Shaun of the Dead did with his zombie films that they were having a little fun with.
3: Well, here's the here's the horrible thing I have to say. I've, I've, I own Attack of the Werewolves on Blu-ray and still haven't watched the damn thing. Yeah,
4: I've got it on my wish list and haven't gotten it. I really want to see it. I've heard so much good about it.
1: Well, since it's a Spanish horror film, you guys should do it as a Beyond Nasty.
3: That's been the plan ever since I bought it, but I, it keeps getting pushed back to the side to do, you know, to do other things, mm. to do this, that, and the other. You know, it's like last episode we realized, shit, we haven't done a Jess Franco film in forever. Let's, you know, let's go ahead and, and do one that neither of us have seen. And so it just—it's one of those things that just keeps getting forgotten, even though I have it sitting, pri- you know, in pri- you know, in a special place just beside my television, reminding me, like every time I look up this the stupid shelf. Oh, hey! You know you need to eventually watch that, and I still haven't still haven't done it, of course.
1: Oh, I think you guys would have a blast covering it on on your show for a Beyond Nashy, so much so that I'm ready to start an online petition.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, you
4: know, one reason I would really like to do it is because you know we've not had great uh, we've not had great experience with comedies with Spanish comedies, you know, so far, uh, no. <laughs> and uh, and so it would be really cool to come across one that we can say not that we've done that many, but you know, but we found the ones that we have done difficult to get through, and so, uh, it'd be good to come across one and we can say, like, yeah, okay, you know, this time we can, we're connecting with this one here, you know, this is one that's making us laugh, this is a good comedy, so.
1: I actually chose Attack of the Werewolves as one of my films as a supporter pick for Outside the Cinema when I went on that show last year. Mm Yeah. And Bill and Chris had a blast with this movie, they really liked it, too, so. If that, if that sways you guys any further, because. Yeah. They can be rather picky about those types of films, too, so. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, like I said, I've not heard anything but positive reviews yes, of the film. And, I mean, I, we heard about it. I mean, it came out, I think, in 2010 or 2011 or something like that. And so it's been around long enough for a lot of people to have said positive things about it. And I just – which is why, of course, I went out of my way to go ahead and buy the damn thing. But it's just – I'm just – I am I have too many fucking movies to watch. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I've got a Blu-ray stack and a DVD stack that if I am not careful taking one out, it will fall on me and basically <laughs> trap me for the rest of my life until I slowly just asphyxiate under the weight.
3: Well, I mean here's, here's, a, here's a terrible thing. This is, uh, this, is, this is how things like this happen. Even though I don't think that it's a particularly great film, a, uh, a month or two ago I bought the Blu-ray of the film Grizzly. <laughs> okay, I love Grizzly. I, I don't get me wrong, love it, love it. I understand. Oh, grizzly! Yes. but, but yeah, I know boy, do we have stories about Grizzly. <laughs> but I, as soon as I bought it, my thought was, Cool, you know what? I'm gonna sit down this spring and I'm gonna watch Grizzly for the first time in like 15, 20 years. Fuck it, I'm gonna sit down and watch this thing again and really evaluate it as an adult and kind of, kind of you know, I'm gonna, I already had thoughts about, you know, I'm going to write a lengthy blog post about it and talk about this, that, or the other and, you know, regional filmmaking and all this, still haven't popped it open still haven't watched the damn thing because there's all these other things distracting me. The other night I get a package that has the new uh, Scream Factory Blu-rays of Ben and Willard and I'm like, yeah, man, it's fucking killer rat season. Yeah, that's what I'm going to fucking do. It's killer rat time. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch these movies. I'm going to write this. Yada, yada, yada. Ain't done that yet either. Because <laughs> I, I fucking get distracted by, you know, it's like, uh, okay, let me, let me okay, what do I have to do? Shit. Uh, uh, sleep. I have to sleep. That's right. I have to sleep. So I run into the problem of, only occasionally, and sometimes it feels like it's almost accidental that I follow through on. Yes. Yeah, what I'm gonna do. Yes, yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: and it, 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 I I don't know. I I I'd, I'd love to be more structured, but I, the, the moment the only things I seem to be able to structure are uh, getting the podcast done, doing doing those commentary tracks because I, I'm now nervous that that you know. We're under the gun. It's like somebody puts a deadline on me and suddenly it brings me into focus. But otherwise, I'm just going to wander around the room and go, oh, look, this one's bright and shiny. Let me put this one in the player.
1: (laughs) I feel your pain there. I almost need to start putting stuff that I bought on my list of stuff that we're going to be covering on cinema psyops, just so I can start watching the stuff.
4: Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah it's kind of a running joke among uh, all of us uh, you know DVD and, and Blu-ray you know fanatics is that g- kind of think about oh man I'm going to get that the minute it hits the shelves you know stores and they're just going to you know so just so I can settle my shelf for four years <laughs> before I get it around to, you know <laughs>
3: but by God I have that but God,
4: I'm going to get it the day it comes out though
3: You're going to pre-order it too,
1: <laughs> the, the problem too is we're getting a wealth spring of all of these films oh, that yeah. have not been released in ages that mm. we have seen bootlegs of and, and bad copies of or, or gotten our hands on and other nefarious means yep. and now all of a sudden they're like oh by the way here's this you know and and having this wellspring of stuff you have that reaction that you get whenever you get a chance to get a copy of something you love where you must have it and you must have three copies of it in case one <laughs>
2: of them is bad
4: <laughs> <laughs> well what's worse I think is the uh, I, uh, you guys may, may or may not know what I'm talking about but you probably do is finding yourself really getting excited over something you should really not be excited about except the fact that it's on friggin' Blu-ray and it's like or that it's getting some kind of special
3: oh. treatment
4: like oh, just today was a classic example now uh, uh, Synapse Films announced now this is not what I feel guilty about this is justified is they, they announced the specs on their Phenomena you know, Blu-ray which look, looks great you know that, that I, you know I mean, yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have to justify that, but in the same breath, they also announced the Creeping Terror that they're releasing on Blu-ray, and it's going to be co- it's going to be combined with that documentary on the guy who made the Creeping Terror, who apparently was just in that case or a very interesting story, yeah. you know. And and they're announcing that, and I'm thinking like, oh man, I got to get that too. And I'm thinking it's the Creeping Terror. Well, how can <laughs> I be excited about that? It's know? one
3: of the shittiest <laughs> films ever made. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. Well, okay. To to, to mm-hmm. bounce, that, to bounce mm-hmm. that right back oh, yeah. into that, that yeah. area, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. years ago, I would say, here is a film that I know is absolutely horrible, mm-hmm. but I own an excellent copy of it. Like, say, something yeah. like... And I wasn't proud of it. Mm-hmm. It was almost an embarrassment, but I felt... I needed to announce this in case someone was in my home and spotted it.
2: I'm like <laughs> I'm like
3: getting out in front of that derisive that derisive look or that you know, that kind of a look that somebody might give you for going, Really? You own a copy of Manos? Hey, that's the mystery science theater version of Manos. Thank you very much.
1: Do you have like you any stand there and yell full disclosure I own this on Blu ray, I own
2: that on Blu ray. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
3: now you know where I'm going. Yeah. You have no idea how hard it was for me to keep myself from pushing now on the button that allowed me to buy manos the hands of fate on Blu-ray. I had to physically restrain myself. It was insane. There I got I, it. I, I had to say out yeah, loud. Yeah. I, well of course you did, because we're insane, man. We share the same illness. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I,
3: I, 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 how many times in my life am I gonna watch Manos The Hands of Fate I should never have seen it in the first place
4: no it's great you throw it out because that's exactly the one that when I was telling John Hudson earlier today you know uh, John Hudson who's uh, guested on several of Rod's Bloody Pit episodes before and we've done shows with but uh, when I told him my 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 moment of self reflection when I realized that I wanted Creeping Terror on Blu-ray and his, <laughs> his response was I own Manos I can't say a thing you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: I bought the Manos Blu-ray because I wanted to see, in all of its glory, I wanted to see the restored version with the new audio and everything like that. Right. I wanted to actually see just everything that you possibly could. And it is it, it reveals so much more inept filmmaking than you would ever believe to see it on Blu-ray in high def. It's so much more glorious to be able to see, like,
2: just Not how cheap minute.
4: the uh, set decker sets were, and everything, and said De- if you can even call them yeah. sets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: You can <laughs> actually see in one of the scenes. You can actually see a can of lighter fluid that they used to light the master on fire or the hands on fire. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and you can see you can see like somebody like a, a stagehand's hand coming out of the way whenever they're trying to prop something up or hand something to him. And, <laughs> oh, that's and awesome! Like, Great, it's it's glorious. <laughs> And you're also talking to the guy that bought Plan 9 from Outer Space on Blu-ray. Hey, I would do that. Mm. Yeah. I, I I didn't even hesitate. I, it was the same price for Blu-ray or DVD. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I'm going to do it. I just I, I was like, fine, Blu-ray, let's go.
3: <laughs> I don't think you have to justify that, man. I was just okay, god, this is confession. This was two nights ago. I was looking at Oh god, what was it? Someone just announced Two films that are about to come out as a double feature, and I think it's on Blu-ray, but they're two films that Ed Wood wrote. He didn't even direct the fucking things. This is, this is definitely in the drinking himself drinking himself to death, doing porn, and God knows what the fuck else is going on in his life, period of his life. And I'm going, yeah, I need that. <laughs> that's wrong I don't need this I looked the films up and realized that one of them had already been released by something weird on a double feature disc years ago and uh, I was like well wait a minute That if I want to see that movie I can just get that I'll just what what what." and I talked myself out of that thank God I was like I didn't push by on that one and it's, and it's sheer happenstance that I was able to talk my way out of that one <laughs> I need to put a mirror in front of, just in front to the side of my computer screen so I can look at it occasionally going, you're about to buy something really fucking stupid.
1: <laughs> I, I have no defense for any of that because I bought that box of wood box set, which is like his nearly his whole entire career. <laughs> but, see, but see,
3: I can understand that because within that, yeah, within that are, okay, well, there are no good films. Let's be. I
2: was wondering if you were about to.
3: Yeah, I was, I, was, I was about to go down a path that I realized was a dead end. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that. So, there's a joy in watching Ed Wood films, especially the the earlier ones, where you're looking at a man who whose spirit hadn't been broken yet, who yeah, really right. was who was striving with his extreme lack of talent to craft mm-hmm. something that, that he felt was worth seeing. There's a, there's a joy in watching that stuff. I think, I mean, there's some, and there's a lot of fun to be had with it. Even, even uh, plan nine from outer space has small stretches where you can forget that it's a completely shitty film and just kind of roll with it. But Hey, you know, we, we've all been there. We've all, we've all suckled at the Edward teat <laughs> that came
1: out wrong. <laughs> No, no, that's exactly how you need to phrase it.
2: <laughs>
1: because that's what it feels like. It's it's naughty, it's guilty, you should not be watching these films, particularly the ones that he started writing in A.C. Stevens directed, like Orgy of the Dead or uh, Dropout Wives and those kind of films.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You just You feel rotten inside and you think there's something wrong with you when you're watching it, but by the time it's over you come to terms with what you've just done to yourself. And it's like this pleasant little shame that you get to keep that no one gets to know about until you admit it on a podcast with Troy and Rod.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, you've just added a phrase to my life: "pleasant little shame." That that goes in the archives, baby. Yeah, pleasant That's little shame. Pleasant little
1: it. shame. Um, I live my life from moment to moment of pleasant little shame. <laughs>
3: why i cut a hole in the pockets of my jeans so that i can reach inside and squeeze myself for just that feeling
4: <laughs> okay now oh, I'm, I'm, the sorry. That, I'm the one that actually has to sit next no, i'm to sorry Scott. i didn't
3: i didn't so. that was hypothetical <laughs> that was just that was a for thought record, thought, ex- it either way. <laughs> thought experiment that's all it was so yeah <laughs> okay so You've not subjected yourself because you're a smarter man than than Troy and myself. You've not subjected yourself, Court, to uh, the the Nashi comedies, but you have uh, you have seen some of the, shall we say, the more uh, hard to locate, hard to see Nashi films, uh, out of the 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 more difficult Nashi films to find, the ones that don't fall into the easy category of either horror or monster film or the Nodensky movies or something like that. Have you seen anything outside of the obvious El Caminante, which I would say is still probably kind of a horror movie? Uh, any of the other film, uh, any of the other of his films that don't really fall into that category uh, that you've seen that you enjoyed, or you were surprised by, or you just thought, "Wow, that's just a solid movie." Because as Troy and I have covered, you know, more than fifty of his movies over the years, we've 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 seen a number of like crime films and things of that nature where. You come away from it, not in all cases, but you come away from it going, "Wow, that's just a solid little movie." That's a, you know, that's a guy who knows how to craft a movie, you know, with you know, outside of the horror genre. How many of those have you seen, and did any of them really uh, speak to you?
1: Would the uh, Seven Murders for Scotland Yard be considered horror, or are you going to put that outside like a murder? I don't think
3: that would, no, uh, that's more of a giallo, which some people would put in the horror category, but I see it as kind. It's, I think, I see it as one of the crime movies. So yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, that's probably one of the better ones that I've seen that I really enjoy. Now, I would say that you're probably going to consider it a horror fan if you're a fan of flesh-colored couches and don't want to watch them getting stabbed.
4: <laughs> right, <laughs> the flesh—yes, the flesh-colored couches. <laughs> oh, oh, I hadn't thought about that in a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
3: God, we did—we did kind of put that out there, didn't we? Yes, <laughs> yes that is—that is true. Uh, this is very true. Uh, have you ever—have you seen any of the? Um, uh, well, I mean, if you've seen uh, – have you seen Sevenfly uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Seven Fly. Dragonfly for each corpse. Dragonfly for each corpse or anything like
1: that? Um, I can't really recall seeing Dragonfly for each corpse. I know I've been trying to get my hands on it, so if I can't remember watching it, chances are I have not seen it. Okay. Uh, I've been trying to get my hands on uh, Dragonfly for each corpse and The Last Kamikaze because I'm definitely mm. interested in both of those. But I, I just haven't – these are really hard yeah. to find and yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think – and I, I'm not on like a Cinemageddon, so I can't really get a hold of the more rarer stuff out there. Understood. <laughs> of the ones that I could get my hands on, if if uh, Seven Murders for Scotland Yard isn't really considered horror as far as you guys are gonna, you know, frame it, would you also say How the Devil is not horror?
3: That's a good. That's a good question. It is, yeah. Um, to me, How the Devil is a horror film. In that it plays with horror tropes so much that there's no way to imagine that story without the horror genre being
1: built. It's built in. Um, well, yeah, and the ending too. The way that the ending does that little twist, it does firmly put right on where it suddenly goes way.
4: into yeah uh, yep. different territory than what you're expecting. I mean, what you've been led to believe that it's going to be strictly this is all in people in people's heads, any kind of imagining or, or imaginative kind of. Things that might come off as of supernatural, or just things that people are right seeing in their own mind, you know, and that it's really just a straightforward story, you know, psychological thriller more than horror. But you're right; I forgot about how that ending there does sort of take it into another.
3: Yeah, yeah. I like I say i i can I could call Howl the Devil in either direction, but there's so much there's so much in it that really can only exist, you know, as a, a, at least an adjunct part of the horror genre that I kind of have to. Uh, it, i kinda have to put it in that category to a degree. But I, I I'm I'm open to the argument the other way, yeah. honestly. So we haven't
4: mentioned this one yet, but Corda, am uh, trying to remember if you've seen uh uh Frenchman's Garden.
1: Yes. Now would that be considered a horror movie? Because that's a really excellent film yeah, well. that is that's terrific, yeah. Historical drama kind of, <laughs> that, was yeah. of
4: the, yeah, that was one of the yeah, that was one of the one of our best discoveries too. Yeah. That one yeah. really
3: knocked us out of the water there. That was really good stuff.
1: It's almost a horror film,
3: but it's almost also a docudrama. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, kind of horrifying on that level. I, I, I think it's more along the lines of, would you refer to something like, um, I don't know, uh, executioner's song that's or, what I was thinking of. Uh, yeah is
2: that
4: is yeah, yeah is uh, that a or, historical uh, drama or is it a horror movie yeah
3: Honestly, yeah or helter-skelter is helter-skelter Helter yeah. a horror movie or is it uh, you know a docudrama and to a large degree Frenchman's the Frenchman's garden kind of falls into both category because it is horrific like say there's no getting around the horrific nature of the crimes talked about in helter-skelter but at the same time it's not structured or built as a horror film it's structured as a police procedural it's structured as a Mm -hmm. drama right so i put i I would kind of put frenchman's garden outside of the horror genre but boy is it is it about some unpleasant facts it's 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 an amazing movie though
1: yeah i've only ever seen there was a dvd that i got my hands on through netflix way way back in the day that i was able to rent to own let's just put it that way
4: (laughs) Never made it back into the mailer that you did. It?
1: No, no, it mailed back, but a part of it stayed with me. Let's just put it that
4: way. Oh, yeah. I get you, I get you. Okay, okay, yes. Gotcha.
1: Sometimes you have to do.
4: Some films just do sort of to yeah. stay with you there. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Sometimes in a
3: tangible form. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, right. It, somewhere out there on my Plex server is a file. That exists, that may or may not be. That says Matthew thanks,
4: DG. Netflix. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I call that my rent-to-own program.
3: <laughs> I understand. I do understand. Oh Lord! Well, uh, about other Spanish horror films, uh, one of the ones that I like to uh, to ask people about and It is. I mean, we we talked about the old Brentwood sets, and of course, everybody talks about the the fifty movie pack sets and all the movies that have a tendency to. To show up in those over the years, uh, I just uh, this is just a, a side question for about a, about a particular Spanish horror film, and it is one that we've covered in a Beyond Nashy episode. Have you seen Murder
1: Mansion? Yes, actually, I have. That was one of the ones that I had on a fifty movie pack, and I also grabbed uh, another Cinema Day bizarre print to get a, a more complete version of it. that was also widescreen, and I absolutely love that film. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, it's a lot it, of fun. It, it,
1: it starts off with like this sort of uh, uh, almost exterminating angel feel where they're all trapped in the place and then it turns into like this like very Night of the Living Dead thing mm-hmm. once the fog settles in. It's a very cool, very creepy, esoteric film. I really dig it. Yeah.
3: yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It, it's a great movie and it's one that I, if there was some way to convince an actual an actual real company like Scream Factory or, or, or Mondo Macabro, somebody, anybody – to take the chance that they yeah. would actually make money yeah. by putting out a good version of it on blu-ray. But the damn thing has been considered public domain for so long that mm-hmm. I'm sure that they look at the, they look at the money end of that possibility and just think everybody and the grandma and their grandmother who wants to see this movie has seen this movie.
4: Yeah. But if there is a good print out there, man, if there's a, if one exists, that would just yeah. be awesome. To
3: Well, tell, tell me something. Um, I know that to you, you consider the, the that you consider that our podcast to a large degree is responsible for you kind of diving deep into the Nashi career, the Nashi films across the board, and I know you've covered a few, uh, well, at least two Nashi films on on your show, uh, and I know that you know. That's that's a touchy touchy subject because we we all want to kill Matt. we all we all want to we all want to kill Matt. I mean, there's there's no real way around the desire to murder Matt. I mean, that's I mean, from what I can understand, this is just from listening to a lot of a lot of your your show, Court. I'm pretty sure that five minutes in the room with Matt is enough to desire to murder him. I mean, that's just kind of all it requires. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there plans an acquired for taste? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a funny fucker though.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, oh yeah, absolutely.
3: One thing that uh, I am curious about is: Do you plan to cover any other Nashi films in the future on Cinema Psyops?
1: Absolutely. Now that these Blu-ray sets have come out, uh, particularly Inquisition is one that I've had my eye on for a while. I just wanted to find a better copy of it, so I'm so there for those. Cool. Uh, I cannot wait to actually start diving into some Nashi stuff. However, I may have to recuse Matt automatically from it because if he says another unkind word about Nashi, I may have a flashback to our argument that nearly ended his life. (laughs) I I will never forget listening
3: to that episode and thinking, holy shit, he just had to edit a big chunk out of here. I think he may have beat him to hell. I think he may have beat him up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a... This was before I started doing outtakes, but there was a a bit of a a heated exchange where uh, we we had a debate over that. And uh, I was like, look, you you don't go there. You're not going there. You know, (laughs) this isn't this isn't a matter of censorship. I mean, he has a touchy button, too, that I can do to piss him off. He can he can talk about he can talk shit about Mashi and all I have to do is say fuck Star Wars to him.
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> <was just> <laughs>
1: oh
3: man, there are so many I hate to, oh man, I could I could do fifteen minute rants on Star Wars and why I don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not an anti-Star Wars person. I'm 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 very much of my generation. I was uh, what was I, like ten? No, I was nine, eight or nine when Star Wars came out. Uh, I read the novelization before I saw the film. I loved the original film. I thought *Empire Strikes Back* was what orgasms felt like, you know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and that's just you know that that's it. But oh, you know, the, the 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 luster on Star Wars for me has dimmed a lot over the years. But the the, the 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 I can't fault the joy that a lot of people still have in Star Wars. It's just never going to be the same for me. It's that it's that feeling. Of walking out of the Force Awakens and realizing eh, it wasn't very good, you know, it's they yeah they just basically remade the first film and are trying to pretend they didn't. And, and it's 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 not like uh it's not like walking out of the Phantom Menace and realizing wow that's what rape feels like. <laughs>
4: but- <laughs> hey, I bet uh, hey, Court, I bet uh, so is Matt? Does he cross that line into the Star Wars people who actually defend like Phantom Menace and?
2: <laughs>
1: uh, no 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 oh, good good uh,
4: okay okay because yeah because you know there are those who and you know even on some level those people know that those the three yeah. that those three films are bad but it's like i think admitting they were bad would just like hurts too much you know to to yeah. like so they have to yeah. so you know but okay well, i'm glad to know at least he's, his blinders don't uh don't, aren't that aren't that powerful
1: i think he can still enjoy them if that's if he's going to watch them all uh-huh. it's, and i don't really want to speak too much for him mm-hmm. on this but I've never really heard him specifically try to defend them because I've. That's the thing that I always lash out with. It's, <laughs> it's, it's that and like the the you know, burrito shooting first and all of that kind of stuff. Where if he'll if he'll say some unkind words about the way that Nashi walked in, werewolf, Doctor uh, <laughs> Jekyll versus the werewolf. You know, if he says some unkind words like that, or he alludes to that again, or just brings up Nashi and then gives me that shit eating grin. <laughs> then I'll immediately be like Greedo Shop first or something. Along those
2: lines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we do a lot of this stuff like that. I'm talking about now is we will go to each other off mic so that we are already pissed off oh, at each other so already before, <laughs> before we even start the show so that we have that antagonistic back and forth. And it's just the way that we, I mean, even if we weren't recording, that is the way that we talk to each other. Uh, we just, we've, we've been friends for so long that, we know the buttons and the shortcuts to get there to just automatically make the other person rage. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, it's like Rod and Mark Maddox—the way they're becoming more and more as they hang out oh, yeah. more. So.
1: Well, I mean, the thing <laughs> about it's very similar dynamic, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: I mean, the thing about Mark and I is that it's it's great because if we if we get off on the if we get off onto a subject where I've decided I'm going to fuck with Mark, then I, you, you can count on the next twenty minutes being. Almost mad, bullshit, insane stuff. It's just great, but a lot of the times we can sit down and we're we're talking about a subject we both we we both agree on to a large degree, and we're just you know we're we're agreeing most of the you know we're agreeing eighty percent of the time, and twenty percent of the time we're kind of picking at each other and trying to figure out why you're such a dumbass. And then that's great. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I like that. But uh, I was like, oh, I was like this Outer Limits episode. You know, we 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 both love the show, and so there's you know there's. Barely a bad word said. I did. Uh, there, there was, there was some, there was some, uh, some uh, extra nastiness, and I stuck one choice clip right at the very end of the show. But anyway, it, you know, it only goes to show that you know Mark and I, Mark and I, can only talk to each other for a certain period of time before one or the other of us goes, "You're a piece of shit, Maddox," or you know. Yeah. I mean, sure, I'm sure he says mean things to me too, but they just roll off my back, <laughs> uh, and I and then I write them down for future reference, but.
2: <laughs>
1: That's that's kind of how Matt and I's friendship and how this podcast is that we do together develops. That's just the way that it goes. And everybody's got that friend where you're antagonistic to each other because it's fun, but you know at a certain point when you've gone too far.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: It's just that the point that is too far when we are recording is actually not as far as when we are not recording. <laughs> <laughs> Because we can get to the point where we will, like, shout obscenities at each other and start, like, you know, really getting after each other and being angry. Uh, But then, like, ten seconds later, we're fine. Whereas if we're recording and we're still on mic, it just, for some reason, it just, the escalation point keeps going. So we have a chop-off point where it's like, we have to stop here. And that's, Nashy is how we discovered it.
3: (laughs) Well, I, I can tell you to a large degree what uh, I can tell you. You said you, you didn't. You, it's worse when you're recording. I can tell you exactly why it is: is because you're both aware that you're you're recording. You're both aware that this is something that is going to be heard by other people, and so there there's that extra little. Neither one. of you wants
4: to back down, you
3: know? right? It's not just and it's not just that. It's that both of you want to both both people want to be the one that quote unquote wins. You know the, that that has the has the upper hand when the halt is called. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and that, that's a natural human tendency, but it's one that, it's, it's one that can escalate really badly. And you've got, you've got to actually love the person you're doing this to to be able to pull yourself back occasionally and go, I think I probably should find a way for us both to exit this with some pride <laughs> left intact. So.
1: Well, we have moments, too, where we'll go to a break or something after one of those things, and we do everything live clips and all. So we'll play that clip or we'll play like a promo and then some music and then we're hugging it out. And then when we come back in, we're, we're kind of fake fighting and then we calm down on air, even though we've already calmed down, mm-hmm. you know, like we, mm-hmm. we play it up a little bit here and there. So it's not necessarily that bad, but we've had some real rows you know, while driving in cars that, <laughs> that, that, that essentially like, you know, me taking him home or, or him driving me back from a place where we're hanging out together and the argument just basically consists of obscenity, obscenity, Star Wars, obscenity, obscenity, <laughs> Nashi, obscenity, <laughs> obscenity, uh, George Romero, you know, just back and forth. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah, Wonderfest uh, Wonderfest in Louisville, Kentucky, a couple of weeks ago that we were all at, uh, Rod was at it and I was, and, and Mark was too, and somebody, I don't remember who it was now. <clears throat> I was discussing a uh, uh we got into a discussion about rod and 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 Mark's you know shows, and they're arguing and all that and I made them mention that they're going to be riding up together to G fest you know the Godzilla Convention in Chicago, and I told them in my mental image is just of the car veering back and forth across the the road, you know, sort of thing <laughs> is that the road?
3: <laughs> it, w- it won't be that bad. But I actually have toyed with the idea of taking the digital recorder with me yeah. and having it surreptitiously stashed somewhere in the car <laughs> and just, let and it just record, and record. And just letting it record everything that happens on the trip for editing later on. <laughs> that would be a great so, idea. You know, yeah, we we'll, we'll see what happens.
1: Oh. that would definitely make for an interesting cast uh, a long car ride split up into a couple of different episodes <laughs> <laughs> some of the greatest conversations i've ever had with somebody is like this needing sleep fueled by caffeine weird conversation you have on the road to somewhere oh right. yeah oh
3: well i had this i was telling some friends uh, at wonderfest actually mm-hmm. i was i was having dinner with uh, some folks and and uh, was telling them about you know uh, these different uh, these different things that happened on long car trips uh, and one of the ones that I related to them is years and years ago, we're talking a long time ago, our, our buddy Frank and I were on a long road trip and to pass the time uh, we, we created a blues song called Pitbull of Love and <laughs> we, I think we created about uh, 87 verses, but the only one that has ever stood the test of time and stuck in my memory is the, the verse that ends, come on baby, let's do it people style
4: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's good.
3: I <laughs> mean, we, we, we were doing this for well over an hour. You know, just coming up. You know, it's like we paused long enough to let the. You know, it's like you know. Sometimes it would flow, and then sometimes you would get to a point where you're like, got to pause for a few minutes, and then somebody would come up with, "Oh yeah, okay, well, here's the next verse." But that's literally. I mean, there's no recordings. There's no. Yeah, nobody wrote this shit down. It's to, lost. Yeah, it's lost. <laughs> lost to the ages now. <laughs>
1: Uh, Which is why I'm so glad to have a smartphone because I type up everything I want to try and remember like that mm, on yeah. my notes in my phone.
3: <laughs> and, and it's a good idea. That's how I I use my phone. Uh, the I, I use the voice to text thing to make little. Uh, I'll email myself stuff for later for later consumption, just so that I can take it and and edit it down and and add things to it or look at it and realize that I was insane to save this or <laughs> whichever happens. But. Uh,
1: I have tons of lists of like stupid song titles and fake band names and things like that that my <laughs> friends and I have come up with, and it's like pages upon pages of weird stuff. I, believe me, I understand.
4: Um, <laughs> this is a question I like to ask to horror movie fans or, or horror fans in general, and you and because I am just throwing it out, didn't throw this out at you prior to you know you may if you don't have an answer to this, this is cool. But too but I'm sort of always of the theory that people who are there's a there's a moment early in someone's life when they're they come across an image whether it's in a film or in a book or something that is from the horror genre and they and it either thrills them it might scare them you know might make them have nightmares might send them running but there's a a thrill to it there that has them come back for more and that's the people that become Horror, horror fans. Yeah. Or they're the people that find it unpleasant, and then that's the people that you talk to now who are the, you know, no, I I, just, I I don't do the horror movies. I can't do it. You know, we all know those people, you know, and some of them, they may be huge movie fans or huge fans of all sorts of other genres, but some of when it comes to horror, they're just like, can't do it. So right. I was just wondering, throwing that out there, do you remember your first, the moment that, the make or break moment that kind of cemented you as a horror fan or the first image you remember that scared you, but you thought oh that was kind of cool
1: there's a couple of different occasions where this happened to me but Mm -hmm. the one that's the most vivid where I remember being terrified and at the same time fascinated and unable to move and just kept staring Mm -hmm. was um, there was an old video store when I was a little kid that was called Flagship Video in my hometown Mm -hmm. that we used to rent tapes from and the horror section there was immaculate now my memory of it may not necessarily be the reality of what was there but when I was like I, I was like like just barely out of toddler before mm. you know kindergarten running around and I remember staring up at videotapes and I was transfixed by the covers of Night of the Demons and Donna Day of the Dead the one that had Bub on the cover yeah uh, yeah front, front and center uh-huh. and um I can't. I can't really remember all of the movies off the top of my head, but when I see the images, I'm like that one. And yeah. You know, uh, I think one of them might have even been like three on the meat hook that was in the <laughs> section that did yeah. stick on my head. <laughs> Terrible movie, amazing cover. You know, uh, yeah. the Mutilator is another one too. I remember the cover from, but uh, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, the one where they're all posed to mock the Breakfast Club. That yeah. cover.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so it's it's standing in that horror aisle, and the thing that made it stick in my memory is. My mother would come by and see me in there while she was walking around. I would just wander off because it's a very small store. Yeah. You know, and I would wander off and stare at these covers. She would see me, drag me away and be like, you don't want to be in there. That's awful stuff. That's horrible. You know, uh, just trying to convince me of how bad it is. And the minute she let loose uh, my shirt collar, boom, <laughs> you line,
4: right back. <laughs> you were back. To yeah. It had that forbidden fruit uh, whole, uh, 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 thing to it there. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then the next thing that really solidified it for me – uh, that, that made me a monster kid and made me really, truly love all realms of horror was the Crestwood uh, House series of the monster books. Yeah, oh, the, my God. The yeah. orange covered books. Those were in my grade school library uh, from like first grade on. I, I I found those books and I wish I could get a hold of them because if you could look at the library cards, it would literally be like each book I would check out <laughs> in succession, you know, like it would be one day, this book, the next day, the next book. And then I would just keep going back. So you would see my name, like in, in like every seven days I would have one of those books again, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, I, or not seven days, but like, you know, what every, every five days for the week. And then the weekend I would have a book over the weekend and I'd be back Monday with the next one. And I used to trace out, um, King Kong and Godzilla, uh, the Wolfman, you know, Dracula, all that stuff. I used to trace them out of the books, uh, onto like thin paper and then turn them into like football teams or the soldiers off fighting war. Like, you know, howling commandos and stuff with my imagination. I was going crazy with monsters and my mom took notice of this because how could you not, when I'm (laughs) bringing home the same series of books (laughs) over and over again
3: and and brought brought in the exorcist, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's another story. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, so she was like, okay, well, these are old black and white movies from the 30s. They're all kind of rated G now. If he's going to be obsessed with horror, let's mm-hmm. let him watch this stuff. So she tried to supplant my urge to see the nastier stuff mm-hmm. by allowing me to see the universal monster. So she rented... I think the first one I got to see was Dracula she rented. And then by the time I had seen... Uh, it was Bride of Frankenstein. I was the first of the Frankenstein movies that was available at our library. And she got that one for me. And by the time... I sat down with Bride of Frankenstein after those books, and then staring at all the other covers. I'm Lifelong fan, I'm
2: hooked. Cool. You know?
4: and, <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's great. That's great. So that's the kind of stuff I love to hear. And Rod and I were laughing because I've got a very healthy stack of the Crestwood books uh, back there <laughs> on my uh, desk there. Uh, but how I came about it was interesting because you know, I you know, we all know you know, and all all you're right, all Monster Kid fans. Those books are kind of like treasured. You know, so many of us I had them in our schools, and the only one I had. For years was uh, just a Godzilla one because uh, you know because of my Godzilla session somebody you know tracked that one down and gave it to me a few years ago but but actually just a couple of years ago uh, one of my good friends uh, who is not into I mean he he's known me all my life he knows how much I'm into monsters and horror movies and things but he's not doesn't know much about it himself he's never been a huge fan of it. but his girlfriend at the time who's now his wife uh, she was working at a library here in Nashville and uh, they. She showed they come to my birthday party, you know, and she she's uh, she's like she says, uh, yeah, they they were letting these they were getting rid of these in my library, and so I just grabbed them all for you. I don't know if you'd like these or not. And it was—it's like a stack of it's pretty much like half the books that Crestwood did <laughs> this huge stack. Wow. And of course, I just you know my needless to say my reaction was pretty gratifying. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, let's
3: just, let's just say I was in the room when yeah. she had, when she handed the stack of books to Troy, and the look on Troy's face was pretty much like mine, which was holy shit.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was just so so yeah. So in one in just like one pop there, you know, I got about half the collection because you remember that they did the first series with the orange covers, and then they did the ones with the purple. Covers, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so now I'm kind of, it's kind of now put me on a mission to try and get the rest since I've suddenly got you know so many of them. I'm kind of hoping that I can make a complete collection at some point. But uh, those books are great, though they really are.
1: i think trying it, to collect those is a real folly too because yeah. they get super expensive fast. Oh yeah,
4: um, oh yeah.
1: I came pretty close to dropping an undisclosed amount that would have meant that I would have no food or eat for the next month. An entire collection of both the orange and purple books. Oh yeah. And it was it was an inordinately large amount of money, but they were in like a really nice condition. Yeah. And I'm sitting there hovering on the eBay like buy it now button with my thumb over it. Like like I can't do this. I can't do this. And in the back of my head, something's like you don't need to eat by them.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I do love hearing. I'm glad Troy, you thought to ask that question because I, I, I honestly, we should have gamed that one out because that's a great question to ask because it is a great it is it's a great thing to find out for a horror fan uh, when you're when you're discussing this. What what was the point where mm-hmm. the attract slash repel thing? Became kind of both, where and, they, they, yeah. they kind of joined together. Where that the repulsion you feel for some you feel for some of the stuff instinctively, almost causes a, a, an equal if not stronger uh, desire to approach it. There's an attraction to it that kind of get, that overwhelms that, and eventually becomes part of the uh, part of the kind of unholy joy. That you get from this stuff to begin with, and it's 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 good to, to be able to pinpoint it in your life.
4: Well, it's fun to also ask to ask the question of a young buck like a Court, you know, <laughs> because he, of course, his experience is 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 totally. I mean, the, it's great to hear that you know it's a video aisle that 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 he's first as a kid, you know, being yeah. introduced to, which you know you obviously didn't have. We didn't have. For, we were you know a little and all, but he's got like the. You know, that, that's cool to hear because no. the images he sees are much more extreme even then than anything we were able to or anything I was able to see back well, when I was a kid, you know, is the fact that he can walk into a store and see images yeah. of like, you know, zombies and and, and slashers and all that kind of thing. So, but when we,
3: were, when we were kids in the 70s, it was a different thing entirely. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about seeing uh, on a video aisle court, you talked about seeing the, you know, Day of the Dead. I saw Day of the Dead in the theater when it came out.
1: You know, oh, so jealous. Twice.
3: I mean, I, I went back a second time because then I'd already knew, I already knew about Dawn of the Dead and had seen it at a midnight showing several times. And it was, nothing was going to stop me from seeing Day of the Dead. And the amazing thing about Day of the Dead at the time was the first unrated movie I'd ever mm-hmm. seen in a movie theater in my life. And uh, this was during a period of time where it was possible to get unrated movies you know, into a theater. And uh, you know, on the, you can look at the movie posters for Day of the Dead from the time, and it, they they specified on there this is unrated. There's no you know, there's no graphic sex in this. The the reason it's unrated is because you know, it, because of the graphic violence. And it's like anybody who knew that this was a sequel to Dawn of the Dead was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> so uh, you talk about these, you discovering these things on the video aisle, and of course, both of us discovered innumerable films on the video aisles. But I always, always. Like knowing that you know, it like I saw pieces in the movie theater when it mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. which is a completely insane. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things that you know you you look back on and you realize you got. I, I got lucky in a, in a lot of respects. I saw you know. I can remember going to see Class of nineteen eighty four, which has some truly horrific stuff yes, in it. It does, you know. Uh, and these are all movies I saw, you know, I saw Scarface, <laughs> you know, De Palma's Scarface in a the theater. It's just <laughs> a lot of movies like that. And I think, you know, there are lots of people who just never had that opportunity. And there came, there came a point somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s where that kind of, I imagine, try, I imagine trying to get, even Brian De Palma, imagine trying to get some of the stuff that's in Scarface onto a movie screen oh, yeah. with yeah. an R rating. And yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, it's just not, it's not going to happen. And the, the, that brief window of opportunity where things like Henry and June and Day of the Dead got released with a with an NC seventeen or with no mm. rating, mm. that that shit came and went in the space yeah. of about two to three yeah.
4: years. It didn't last long. Yeah,
3: and so um, it, it's great that now we have, you know, of course, Blu rays. We we get not only the films and you know perfect audio and video and lots of extras and everything that you could ever want, but there is something that I think for movie fans that does get lost when you don't have that opportunity to get that kind of perverse jolt from a movie that you're taking a chance on in a movie theater, you know,
1: you can get that back. If you just do an impulse buy based on the cover of a blu-ray and are rewarded for it
3: <laughs> to, to a degree, but there is a difference about sitting in that public place in a dark room, you know, Oh to, yeah. You yeah, know,
2: absolutely. I,
4: you know, I am, I'm, I'm still just, still daily amazed uh, because almost daily there's news of some new Blu-ray of some 80s horror film that I've never freaking heard of ever coming I mean it's just amazing to me how many I mean I've always been you know consider myself pretty knowledgeable about horror and that's seen a lot of you know I mean none of us think we've seen everything but you know we consider ourselves to have seen a a big chunk of the genre but my god I think I sometimes feel like I've only seen 10% of what must have come out in the 80s because every single day I'm just like what is this this 1983 slasher or a horror film i've never heard of this you know it's just amazing how many of them were made
3: oh i know i they just announced uh blue underground just announced uh pre-orders for a film called amsterdamed yeah yeah it's, it's a yeah and, and it's like no, no, I've never it's like that.
1: what the I saw that.
3: fuck is this and it's like <laughs> hey you know okay time to you know time mm-hmm. to see this one you know mm-hmm. so. yeah
1: one of the things that uh was a benefit for where i grew up because i grew up in very rural pennsylvania middle of nowhere. Basically, the only stuff that we could get into our local video stores were the dregs of videotapes that nobody else wanted and the bigger chains and stuff mm, like that. Yeah, right, yeah. The bigger stores. Yeah. So what I ended up getting to see and what I got my hands on as a kid and, you know, teenager and stuff like that were these films that, you know, like a, like a slaughterhouse, um, bloodsucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> You know, you find all these weird VHS yeah. tapes that like very few people know about outside of like other people that experience the same thing with these strange small mom and pop video stores that you know were a converted house in the middle of nowhere where you <laughs> grew up, and and so like I I mean I could go through a, a list of all this stuff where like like the mutilators one that I mentioned that's one that yeah. I watched on the regular and then it became this thing where people are like well you know whoever heard of the mur- you know the mutilator I'm like guys. I had the VHS I bought from that place when I went out of business. You
2: know, when I was like 16,
1: I was like, I know of this movie, you know, or, or or madman or, or any of those other types of things. And a lot of the, a lot of my love comes from the video stores and and being there. But at the same time, just to kind of bring it back to uh, Troy's earlier question about, you know, pivotal moments, I can recall each step along the way. I mean, I think I was probably four or five when my parents might have rented The Exorcist, or it was oh, on one boy. of the cable channels, wow. and I <laughs> snuck out. And there, we had one of those old house, uh, like '70s trick, where you had a mirror on either side of a room to make it look like it was infinitely huge. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our that was our home in, in this small like living room area. But they had the TV situated in such a way that I could sit in the hallway <laughs> in in the dark and not be seen. And if I looked at it just right at the one mirror, it would flip the TV around so it would be the right way. And my parents couldn't see me and they had the TV up loud enough that I could I could hear it. And they ran at the exorcist and I snuck out at four or five and sat down. And I was too horrified to move.
4: <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. God. Wow. And I, I just I just Ooh. remember
1: I remember staring at the screen and just being like, What is this? And thinking it was real. Oh, and then my mother dragging me back to bed and telling me that I should, you know, being very Costing for me or whatever and like I shouldn't be watching this you know and and I'm like laying in bed for the rest of the night trying to process what it was that I had just seen and it was one of those things that I never got out of my head as a kid another one that I can remember is okay growing up in rural Pennsylvania one night on one of the like UHF VHF style channels that's you know you just happen to be able to catch on our bedroom TV with bunny ears right someone was playing Night of the Living Dead oh yeah oh. and it was a black and white TV so I didn't realize that it wasn't real as a little kid.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this oh, is geez. also
1: pre-kindergarten, you know, and I'm I'm supposed to be asleep, oh and I'm keeping the TV down really really low and watching it, and they're reporting parts and towns that I recognized as a kid that I could oh. I could kind of read the words oh on. Oh my you know. god,
3: yeah, holy crap! You
1: know,
4: and so you had your own little War ago. of the Worlds experience, kind of there. Your own, your own little like the yeah. War of the Worlds yeah.
1: podcast. Yeah. With it. Yeah. Yeah. And so ever since then, like zombies have been something that have been a big part of my childhood and I've been obsessed with them, particularly the Romero stuff. Oh, Uh, yeah. And so, like, I remember being a kid and like being driven around, like when my mom would drive us to church in particular, we would take this old country road back to this old church. And it would go through this wooded area right by a cemetery near my house. And in my overactive imagination, I'd be looking at the woods and there'd be zombies coming out between the trees all the time.
2: So that's <laughs>
1: Ever since then. And most kids would be terrified. They would, they would be like, Oh my God, mom. But me, I loved it. I couldn't stop picturing it. And no matter how horrified I got, the more I wanted to picture it.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, and it's that thrill of scary.
4: Sure. Yeah. It's that thrill of scaring yourself. You know, that's kind of so, yeah. Yeah. yeah it,
1: it <laughs> It never that, – that, that feeling of needing that, that sort of controlled fear that I knew wasn't real and it was imagination is what kind of drove me to love horror as much as I do. Cool. And yeah. it's just – it's never gone away. I mean and the older I get, the worse it is.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's great, man, because I mean I have the, – the youngest memory I have of something like that is of, uh, of having a clock radio in my bunk bed when I was ah, – Jesus, seven or eight – Maybe even younger and and being able to catch from uh, Chicago late at night on a Saturday night catching the CBS Mystery Theater, which ran for like – it was this radio series that ran for like 15 years or something like that all the way through the 70s and up through the early 80s. And that show would scare the shit out of you. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's that thing. You're huddled in the dark. You're supposed to be asleep, and you can you can. Mom and dad will let you put the radio on, and but they didn't know you were listening to some goddamn horror story, of course. And you're you know you're huddled, huddled under the covers, and you're listening to this thing. And it is that idea that you know you're safe. Mom and dad are in the house. You are home. You're safe. You're in your own bed. But at the same time, you're hearing this horrific story that just really gets under your skin and fires up your imagination and just. Freaking terrifies you. It's amazing.
1: That moment when you're a little kid and you've got a blanket over you, and you're watching, listening to, or reading something terrifying, and you got that bowl of popcorn. That moment when you jump and pull the blanket the wrong way, and the popcorn goes <laughs> <like> flying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been seeking that moment my entire life, uh, yes. as far as I can remember. So I totally know what you're talking about. There, yes, perfect, perfect, perfect.
3: Well, Court, listen, man, we've been talking for a long while here, and I think we probably ought to wrap this up before it turns into an all-nighter. Uh, <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely, I totally agree. But listen, this is definitely something uh, it's that awesome. uh,
3: it's something we need to do uh, more frequently. And as a matter of fact, I want to go ahead and. Uh, uh, talk to you uh, eventually about doing an episode of the Bloody Pit. We will talk about subject matter uh, another day, uh, probably in the next week or so. Because I just want to go ahead and start lining things up. Man, this is great. I want to. Th- I I can't thank you enough for coming out and doing the show.
1: Oh, it's an honor. NashyCast is in my top three of all time podcasts. So wow, I'm, thanks, man. I'm That's so humbled to be on here with you guys.
4: Well, well we appreciate you, man.
1: Th- thank you very much. We. Uh, I. I can. I'll. N- I'll never be
3: able to compete with uh, your weekly output. Uh, but I'm glad. Yeah, that, we uh, we
4: we are in great standing awe of uh, <laughs> of your frequency. You're able to put these shows out. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I sometimes wonder if uh, you you are human. I mean, it's <laughs> insane. <laughs> it's just,
4: and I, obviously, your wife is an incredibly uh, long-suffering and, and understanding person. There, you know. So she's I'm
3: sure she good. I'm sure she forgives you a lot of things. Hmm.
1: She actually uh, the other day told me that she's sorry that she doesn't listen to the show, and I told her. That she doesn't need to, you know, because she feels like she needs to support me. And I'm like, honey, you own, you have no idea all that you offer me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just yeah, for yeah. allowing me to spend the amount of time that I do. To turn around a two-hour show once a week, it does involve a lot of my spare time. And I love it. I'm, I'm hooked on it, and I can't stop doing it. Now, having said that, what you guys may lack in quantity for your show, you more than make up for in quality.
2: where I'm just putting out the
1: dregs every two hours
2: of recording (laughs) (laughs) once a
3: week. Oh, that is not true. But, Court, listen, uh, before we leave here, uh, quickly tell the people where they can find Cinema PsyOps.
1: Absolutely. We are now a full-fledged member of the Legion Podcast Network. That's legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. That's our main landing page. You can find all of our stuff right there are also available in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. A quick search for Cinema Psyops. That's P-S-Y-O-P-S. Psyops, you can find us very easily in any of those stores or just on Google. It'll redirect you to our landing page there for Legion. We have a Facebook group, which is a ton of shameful, happy time fun. Uh, <laughs> yes, it it's,
3: is.
2: <laughs> it's
1: one of the most rewarding parts of being uh, the weekly podcast show that I do is Getting the feedback from everybody and and having them like make memes out of stuff that we say, like the, the alternative photography that our buddy Darren does, and and just having people commenting on our shows and everything. It was working with us for our psyop news and all of that. I, I love the Facebook group. It's such a great time, and I spend way more time on that than I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's another way to keep in contact with us. I'm on Twitter, at Court underscore PsyOp, and I am Court PsyOps on Facebook.
3: Excellent. Thank you, man. Cool.
1: Oh, thank you once again. Like I said, this is a a podcasting bucket list moment for me to be on the show with
3: you guys. Well, let's see if we we can't keep kicking that bucket or pissing into it in the future. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. let's not let's I, not any of us kick a bucket anytime soon.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm so down to do a bloody pit. So that's absolutely.
3: great, man. That's great. Cool. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk to you soon, man.
1: All right. Later.
2: Se
3: and there you go. I just wanted to jump in here at the end and thank everybody for listening to myself and Troy and Court ramble about Paul Nashi films and uh, Spanish horror And, uh, well, just everything under the sun that came up in a natural conversation amongst a bunch of horror film geeks talking about this kind of thing. (sighs) I knew we would get off track on several occasions, but I had no idea exactly what those trails and side paths would lead us to. Who knew we would end up uh, making fun of Star Wars and and, uh, Mark Maddox. Uh, But then again, I pretty much always want to mess with Mark Maddox. But want to thank Court again for coming onto the show, and I want to thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, let us know. If you did, let us know. Remember, the email address is nashicast at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear what you've got to say. If you have a particular favorite Nashy film that had some special meaning for you, either as a youngster or as someone discovering these movies for the first time on DVD or... uh even VHS, let us know. These are the kind of stories that we want to share with the world. The NashiCast has got to become larger and more interesting and more inclusive. We've got to include more voices here. We've got to get more people involved in this, and it's going to be easier than ever here in 2017 with all these excellent Blu-ray releases. Remember, Inquisition is out there right now on Blu-ray from Mondo Macabro, and the Massive five film Nashi set that includes Horror Rises from the Tomb and Night of the Werewolf and Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll is out there with commentary tracks for those three particular films from myself and Troy. So if that uh, entices you to buy them, then so much the better. But regardless, the five films in that set are worth your time, and so is Inquisition. So, once again, thank you very much for listening to the show, and uh, we will be back again soon. That it would be possible to, uh, to weaponize Troy's voice but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to make that suggestion to anybody who might actually do it because God only knows what would happen. <laughs>